You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. <laughs> well, hello and welcome to episode number 172 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. It I'm was Carl nearly 169 again. Sorry. I know. <laughs> I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in the lounge studio this evening is my co-host Matt Smith. Yes, well, hello everyone. Hello. It's um, it's a very nice evening out there. It's just, uh, I'm surprised we're not outside. Actually. Not that they'd see because the curtains are no, shut no. behind us. But <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, but your camera nice was whiting out. So it, it is a nice evening done, outside. Yeah. <laughs> so welcome everyone who's joined us in the chat room this evening. It is the seventh of July, uh, just coming up to quarter past seven in the evening here in the UK. And uh, we've got a massively, awesomely packed show this evening. We have, yes, a full we've house. Got, yeah, we've got yeah. a special guest joining us today. And uh, Who, he's we, probably regretting his decision he's already. Probably, he's probably, he's said, has he got, is he still there, Matt? Yeah, I don't he's know. Is he there, still yeah. there? Are he you still there, guest? <laughs> he's hiding his face. He's hiding his face. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, we have got uh, uh, our, oh, well, our newest addition to the PTUK team, and he's uh, he's joined us. Well, he's probably regretting that as yeah, well yeah, now, actually. <laughs> but uh, the newest addition to our PTUK family team uh, of hosts. Uh, so welcome on this week, Mr. Neville Barnes. Yeah, hi, Carlos. Hi, Matt. Thanks ever so much indeed for inviting me on. And thank you uh, very much for making me a full-time member of the team. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. And uh, I was very really flattered that you asked me. Oh, um, no, it's but, absolutely, uh, that's, uh, absolutely really nice of you. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, although uh, Micah is a little bit disappointed because I think he was kind of hoping that with your involvement that the little gremlins that we usually have before we start <laughs> the show would have all been ironed out. But uh, Well, so. yeah, we'll, we'll come on to that later. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm going to be uh, corrected, don't don't worry, everyone. It'll be like a well-oiled machine before we know it. I hope not. You don't put oil in a, la- in a PC. No, it'd be terrible. Um, so joining us as well, uh, guest host uh, this week. He's been on a few times already, but everyone knows him. Everyone loves him. Yes. He is the king of harp jets. So welcome on to the show, Mr. Owen. Hi guys, Mi- thanks Mi- for having me on once again. Mr. Owen, <laughs> yeah, what's Mr. Owen? I can't say, it's because of the spelling. If I, I, if I said his, if I said his, uh, his surname, I, I would get it hideously wrong. What, Shimizu? Yes, that's, <laughs> it's really that's not that hard. <laughs> it's not, it, no, it, I mean, it's, it's pronounced exactly as it's spelled. Don't okay. get me wrong, if, if you ask Starbucks to put it on a cup for you, that may be more of a challenge. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah, how, how are you, by the way, Nav? <laughs> yes, I mean, actually, although there is some sort of aviation relevance, isn't there? To well, yes, vaguely, as opposed yeah, to Nev, so I suppose it's you know something. But uh, yeah. you'd think they could get a a three letter word. So, uh, for anyone else who's listening to the show who has been to Starbucks and had their name uh, mauled by a member of Starbucks <laughs> on a cup, send your pictures in. We'd love to see them. Yeah, well, it could, yeah. could do a top ten, couldn't we? We could, yeah, absolutely, of the most silliest names. Although we probably should keep things um, what I'd like to refer to as aviation related, perhaps. I know. Uh, you know. We couldn't get. We couldn't get. Having any... already been ticked off uh, last week for oh. not for talking about food too much during the show, but exactly. <laughs> well, we couldn't get any more aviation related than with our guest, who's very kindly joined us uh, yeah. via Skype tonight. 
He's a full-time flight instructor. He started flying at the age of 15 and finished his pilot certificate in college. He has degrees in electrical engineering, psychology, and an MBA. He spent 25 years working in sales and marketing for Hewlett-Packard. Mm. 12 years ago, he left Hewlett-Packard and now devotes full-time teaching uh, flying, writing, consulting, and giving speeches and seminars. He's also written two books, including Max Trescott's G1000 Glass Cockpit Handbook, uh, now in its fifth edition. Oh, wow. He holds an ATP certificate for all four airplane categories. He specializes in teaching in Cirrus aircraft and is also type rated on the Phenom 100 and Eclipse jets. In 2008, he was named the FAA as, or by the FAA as uh, the National Certificated Flight Instructor uh, of the Year to represent the 96,000 flight instructors in the U.S., you may know him as uh, Max West from the Airplane Geeks podcast. Yes, I do. Uh, and he now hosts as well his own podcast called the Aviation News Talk, in which he shares general aviation news from around the world, plus pilot skills and safety tips. A great show which I listen to. Uh, so welcome on to the show, Max Trescott. Wow. Hey, I'm happy to be here. I've watched you guys in the past, and it's going to be fun to be uh, part of the menagerie. Yeah. <laughs> I think the correct term is chaos. chaos. So how, how are things with you, Max? Whereabouts, uh, whereabouts in the, uh, the good old U.S. are you? Well, I'm in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, right down in uh, Silicon Valley. So I'm in the town that nobody ever heard of until Google came around called Mountain View. So this is where uh, Google is headquartered. And I do most of my teaching out of the uh, Palo Alto Airport, which is the home of Stanford. So it's uh, you know nestled about halfway between uh, San Francisco and uh, San Jose. Very, very pleasant weather here. It never gets too hot, too cold. So it's just a, it's a fun place to be. In other words, it's great flying weather, Max. You know, that's the thing. I used to live on the East Coast, and it seemed like a third of the time flights would get canceled. Out here, I would say it's VFR eh, 97% of the time, so it's pretty yeah. spectacular for, for flying. Oh, sounds good. Have you done any flying uh, in the last few days, Max, or have you been uh, office-bound? Yeah, I had... Yeah, I had two flights uh, yesterday. So typically I fly five to six days a week. Um, I always take Saturdays off and usually part of uh, you know, Sunday. But, uh, you know, the, the funny thing, it, it doesn't really, well, don't tell my clients this. It doesn't feel like work. I, I hate to tell them to stop <gasps> oh, paying <no>. me. <laughs> don't open that can of worms. I don't, think, I don't think the life of a flight instructor could ever be dull. Every day you're doing well, a job you love. Yeah, and it, a lot of people kind of worry. It's like, oh, are people always trying to kill you? And you know, are you blah blah blah. And you know, that's yeah, I can't even think of a time when you know, I, you know, I felt like I was in mortal danger, you know, in the aircraft. So <laughs> anyway, it's uh, it, it is a heck of a lot of fun. It's it, it's kind of like having an office with the windows on all four sides. So I I love the view, and that's that's half the fun is just kind of watching the world go by. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us again, uh, Max. We're gonna have a good old chat with you uh, later on the show. Uh, but uh, is everyone? Everyone's had a had a good week. We're now obviously Friday end of the week, Matt. You've had an ex you've had a exciting week unpacking boxes after you moved into yeah, your new house much. last yeah, week. Pretty much, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And I've been doing a lot of you know that job that I don't do anymore. Oh, uh, the job yeah. you don't do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been driving. doing a lot of that this yeah. week. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's been good fun. It's uh, yeah. I, I well, I mean, my personal thanks. Obviously, this this guy here, Mr. Carlos, was an was an absolute legend. Um, this this week just gone sort of moving. <laughs> uh, how and stuff i was just been absolutely crazy I, I i seriously i hate moving house i don't know why people you know these people that do it like every um what you mean like i used to for, for yeah a living. Like every couple <laughs> yeah, yeah i know but yeah which is why because he, he used to work for a removal company so you could imagine him putting you know the the skills he had in uh, 
putting everybody everything in boxes <laughs> and stuff. I've never seen a Luton van loaded like it. It was award winning. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, so uh, it's been uh, it's it's absolute chaos. But uh, yeah, I can't Good. I can't wait to actually spend some time in my house. Excellent. That'll be nice. Uh, but uh, yeah. so Nev, how are things with you? Busy week. Uh, obviously, you've been. It, it you've has had, been uh, very actually. Yeah, starting on uh, Sunday, went down to Captain Nick's house for a very nice barbecue, and uh, Stuart Aslett, Adam Spink, and his wife. Uh, yeah, Stuart's wife Nina and uh, the lovely Liz Piper who'd come over as well. So we started off with that, um, and then Liz spent a couple of days with us up here at the house, and then she flew back yesterday. So it's been a a week of fat food actually. I feel so <laughs> I've put on about twenty kilos, what? so uh, I basically can't eat until further notice. Right, right. okay. No, no, I can't eat until Christmas. Yeah, that, no. that's definitely one. <laughs> that's definitely one garden I'd like to have been in this uh, this week. I think with yeah. all that aviate, you got Adam Spink and and obviously. Nick and yourselves out. I bet there was uh, a few uh, aviation-related stories banging around it, the garden. It, it was great, actually, and of course the weather was perfect. It could not have been better, so we've had a very good week here uh, for, for weather, as you know, so uh, it's been absolutely sublime. I know, we've, we've been breaking records here and there. I mean, it's like we've been having sunshine that, that you know, other countries aren't having at the moment. It's been very strange. Mm. <laughs> Owen, yeah. where, whereabouts have you been uh, this week? I'm, I'm going to guess Malaga. Uh, no, I haven't been to Malaga. I haven't been to Spain at all this week, actually. Uh, today we went to Perugia, which is in the middle of Italy. Um, and hmm, since the last show, I've probably been... I've been to Poland, definitely, and I went to Oslo as well. Oslo? Um, Oslo? Yeah. yeah. Blimey. Yeah. Ah, bit chilly out it's, there. It's actually a short enough flight. It's about an hour and a half, maybe, maybe even a little bit less. Yeah. Ah. Very busy. Very good, very good. Well, there we go. I tell you, it's all, it's all happening here. I know, it is. I know. I tell you, there's no need to leave the UK. The weather's so good here, you don't need to go on holiday or anywhere. Yeah. I know, it actually is better in the UK in, than in, in some places. Shh, Perugia was a bit of an exception everyone. today. Yeah, no, no, keep uh, it, they'll keep they'll it all to come here on holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, so uh, we are going to start the show then, as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. Uh, yes, I am, definitely, yes. And if you're ready, Nev. Yep, totally. And Owen? Yep. Max? All ready to go. Let's go. So kicking off this week's first news story then, and this one is on the Chicago Tribune. And uh, the headline, Regional Airlines Want to Cut Co-Pilot Flight Rules. The idea mustn't get off the ground. So the story goes then, the uh, airline travellers are willing to compromise on personal comfort and convenience in return for lower fares and regularly scheduled flights. But I doubt the flying public would agree to deeply discount their own safety by letting the government hack away at an essential industry standard designed to protect flyers from inexperienced pilots. That's why it's important to defeat a proposal before Congress that seeks to water down federal requirements necessary to become an airline pilot. The plan calls for diminishing the 1,500 hours of actual flying time required and substituting some of that with, uh, time with classroom and on-the-ground training. Uh, who's backing the idea? For one, regional airlines that primarily serve smaller markets and often have marketing agreements with big carriers like United and American Airlines. The regionals say they're reeling from a shortage of pilots and changing uh, uh, this training requirement will help prime the hiring pump. 
strongly disagreeing with that uh, business logic is Illinois Sen uh, Tamworth Duckworth, a former Illinois Army National Guard combat pilot who's leading the charge against this legislation. And uh, he says uh, that uh, uh, I want regionals to fly out uh, of Paroya Decatur, but let's not do it at the cost of safety, the senator told me. Uh, nevertheless, the measure recently passed a Senate panel and could be attached up to, for, uh, up to an upcoming Federal Aviation Administration reauthorization bill. The pilot uh, provision passed the uh, committee 14 to 13 along party lines, with Republicans voting in favor of the measure sponsored by Senator John Thune, a South Dakota Republican. Uh, most people, including the majority lawmakers voting for this effort, know nothing about flying an airplane. The closest I've seen to a cockpit is peering uh, into them between saying hello to a flight attendant and taking my seat on a plane. So when it comes to airline safety, I'll take the word of experienced pilots like Duckworth and Airline Pilots Association, which represents 57,000 pilots in the US and Canada, and it's against the cutback. Also fighting this propose, uh, proposal FAA change is Chesley Sullenberger, better known as Sully, the captain of US Airways Flight 1549, that in 2009 made that all-too-well-known emergency landing in the Hudson River. And uh, Sully is also an air safety advocate and consultant. And I mean, the story goes on. It says here that uh, Congress uh, hiked to 1,500 hours from 250 hours, the minimum amount of in-the-air training for co-pilots, also known as first officers. Well, you're, you know, obviously this is, um, you know, over your side of the, the pond to say, Max. You know, what are your feelings on, on the flight rules and the hours and stuff? Well, this uh, particular hike to a 1,500 hours and an ATP requirement to get into the right seat of original jet came about, uh, I don't know, maybe five years ago in the aftermath of the Colgan air crash, which was back in 2009, I believe. And the ironic thing is that the, the both pilots in that aircraft had much more than 1,500 hours. And yet folks kind of make it out as, uh, you know, some magic number where, wow, you got to have this much or you're not safe. And I just, uh, what the article really doesn't say is in a sense, they'd be in some ways rolling things back to where they were. And I don't know that things were necessarily unsafe when people could uh, get into the right seat of an airliner with less than 1500 hours. So, yeah, I understand a lot of people are, are strongly invested in this on, on both sides. Um, I, I don't think that we're going to see a decrease in safety if they lessen the requirements. It says here as well, Max, on the story about the um, the, the amount of pay that uh, the regional pilots get, and it's quite shocking actually. Twenty two thousand dollars annually, um, according to the Airline Pilots Association, is that is that round about roughly what it is? I would say that's about what it was um, one to two years ago. There have been considerable increases in the last uh, you know twelve to eighteen months. Uh, I would say that, yeah, you know, from what I'm hearing talking with people, you know, the number is probably you know, closer to thirty to 35,000. Uh, SkyWest, I know, uh, which is the largest regional here, uh, did a, a large increase in uh, in salaries uh, the past year. So, yeah, I think that number is probably a little out of date. Mm. Obviously, Owen, you want to progress. I think, don't you, you you've sort of got uh, your hopes set on possibly becoming a pilot uh, in the yeah, future. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this, um, obviously the rules and stuff are, are very, are kind of similar in the UK, but... Um, they aren't. They aren't. I mean, like, if you take, for example, a lot of the the world's um, leading airlines in safety, uh, a lot of whom are low cost carriers. Um, you've got quite a few of those hiring pilots who have less than fifteen hundred hours here on this side of the Atlantic, and uh, I, I, it, 
really boils down to how they're trained within the airline. Um, if the if the airline has a really really good, you know, training system, uh, which my 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 company really really does, um, I, I don't think it's absolutely necessary to have those fifteen hundred hours. No. I mean, I, I, I suppose you could argue. I mean, the trouble is, is it's all very well these these companies insisting on this, but I mean, you, you've got to gain your experience somehow, and surely the easiest way to do that is. But I mean, I'm not saying you know be like the captain or whatever, but I mean, surely there's less of a risk if you've got an experienced captain and then a first officer maybe who's sort of in the chair. I mean, that may be something Max can answer answer better than. Than me, but uh, I mean, surely you've got to, you know, you've got to get your hours somehow. And I don't know, is is it just um, uh, uh, people being sort of overly nervous? Um, I mean, you must have a, you must have, you know, got certain skills and qualifications to have got so far in the first place to actually get your license. I mean, exactly, know. yeah, yeah. When you look at uh, what Stuart's done to get his, uh, yeah, you know, you know, he's now moving into the regional jets here in the UK. Um, and he, I would imagine, I'm fairly confident Stuart's probably got more than yeah. 1,500 hours in his yeah. logbook, albeit on a on a on a caravan. On a but, Cessna uh, caravan, yeah. yeah but, but it's uh, is you know it's incredibly hard to get to that that stage, and the money as well. You know, it's not it's not cheap to learn to fly, because no. uh, a lot of the um, I think a lot of the training that the airlines do, the, some of the airlines actually you have to pay for your own training, which yeah. is um, is mm. not always brilliant. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> So moving on to the next story, uh, Matt, this is yep. uh, for you, this one. This is indeed, yeah, this is uh, story number two, always seems to be Ryanair related, I'm never quite sure why. Uh, <laughs> Travel Daily News is the website, and the headline is 93% of Ryanair passengers satisfied with flight experience. Only 93? Only 93. Okay. I believe these are their own statistics as well, aren't they, from what I was under <laughs> learning earlier. Anyway, Ryanair released its quarterly Rate My Flight statistics, which show that 93% of surveyed customers, so that's not all the customers, that's only 93% of those that were <laughs> surveyed uh, were happy with their overall flight experience in April, May and June 2017. Some 150,000 customers used the Rate My Fight Flight Function in the rate my fight. Oh, that's, that's, that's that's after that a, a jet, beer or two. Was that, that is a jet that, two one. That, that sounds like a jet two story. That does. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so I put myself off my own stride there. So sir, service on board and range of food and drinks on a five star rating system ranging from one star for okay to three stars for good. So there isn't one there for it was crap. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, up to five stars for so right. I see. So one star is okay. <laughs> not this was appalling it nearly killed me uh up to excellent at number five so some 93 percent of respondents rated their overall trip excellent slash very good slash good recording similar ratings for boarding 87 percent crew friendliness 95 percent service on board 93 percent and range of food and drink 81 percent rate my flight is available in dutch english french german greek italian polish and spanish via the ryanair app which can be downloaded from i and Google Play stores. I'm not going to read any more of that because it's obviously a little bit of Ryanair so, blowing but, their own so trumpet. But, it, um, I'm guessing then that this is a function on their app, on the Ryanair app, that you can click on and, and, yeah, and then rate so, yeah. your... Now, yeah. The only thing I would say against this, the bit that makes me a little bit nervous, is, I mean, there's quite a lot, 150,000 passengers, g given how many that that particular airline carry on a, on a sort of monthly basis. I, I would argue that that's not... 
roughly 12 million yeah. passengers a month. It, yes. Uh, so actually, a 150,000. You'll forgive me being a little sceptical <laughs> here that there's 150,000 people were surveyed uh, and only 93% of them were happy. Uh, but uh, yes, anyway, enough. Uh, I'll, I'll move on, shall I? Uh, who's going to take the next what, story? I was going to say, what, what, I was gonna say actually, uh, uh, Max, I guess, I'm guessing, you, I mean, you must have travelled in the, in the Europe and the UK, I was imagining in the UK. Have you, have you ever had, the, uh, had, a, had a trip on a Ryanair flight? Well, I, I don't want to say anything bad, but uh, I am related to Michael O'Leary, so I oh, think ah, it's great. Oh, no, okay. That's outrageous. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. not, not, not true. But no, yeah, okay. we, we certainly hear all kinds of stories about them. I haven't had the pleasure of uh, flying them, but I was kind of wondering if maybe you know the people who rated this were only allowed to rate it before the flight departed. You know, they want to give it a good rating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they, they want to get there safely, so they gave it a good rating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, In case they're reading the results before they get on yeah, board. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of course, in the US, uh, you know, if, if you gave them a bad result, you would get pulled off the aircraft. Well, yeah, absolutely. Po- probably <laughs> not beaten, beaten so. No, no, no. Okay. Yes, careful now. We're oh, in dangerous dear. territory. Moving <laughs> on. <laughs> so the next story, next story is, Quick, uh, someone. Yes. is, is for you, Nev. Yeah. It's a British Airways story, which is uh, nice. Kel Supreze. Yeah. Is it a nice the, British Airways story? Well, yes. it, at the moment it is, but of course, there's always other stories related yes, to that airline. Yeah. This is from the Sun Sentinel website, and uh, it's a new service that British Airways are launching uh, or have launched between Fort Lauderdale and London um, with use of uh, wide bodied jet service between the two destinations. And the uh, airline's new year round route between Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood International Airport, and London's Gatwick Airport is scheduled to operate four days a week using 275-seat passenger Boeing 777-200 aircraft. The jetliner has a three-class configuration with 48 business, 24 premium economy, and 203 economy class seats, British Airways says. In-flight offerings will include free meals, snacks, and beverages, and a full-service bar, but not in the economy bit, I'm sure. But anyway, we'll, uh, we'll come back to that. Possibly. Yeah, yeah, but muggle um, class doesn't deserve it, let's be honest. No, that's true. Yeah. That's true. And anyway, yeah, BA joins Scandinavian low-cost airline Norwegian Air Shuttle in offering South Floridians and travellers from Fort Lauderdale a non-stop service to Gatwick, which is London's second largest international airport. Our research and intelligence tells us there is a demand in Fort Lauderdale both in and out uh, and for business and leisure, said uh, Doug Keynes, a British Airways Vice President of operations, safety and business development during launch festivities at Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood. When asked if demand for the route had been impacted following recent terrorism-related incidents in London this year, Keynes replied, no, London and the UK really are definitely open for business. We're very happy with the bookings we've we've received so far. And uh, so with Fort Lauderdale, British Airways is now serving four airports in Florida, with each offering different connecting opportunities for travellers, Keynes noted. And in South Florida, BA has long served uh, London Heathrow Airport from Miami and also flies to Gatwick from Orlando and Tampa. And with the four markets, the carrier now offers more seats to London from Florida than any other carrier, uh, carrier Kane said. Um, I'm just going to skip on a little bit because it, it does go on a bit. But um, the other thing that they're saying is that there's a massive British community in the um, in the region, mm. and I'm sure they're going to take advantage of this direct flight, says uh, Roy Yates, who's president of the British American Chamber of Commerce. 
based in Lighthouse Point. And on Thursday, Fort Lauderdale Hollywood officials marked the arrival of British Airways' first flight from London with a water cannon salute. They, that followed a ribbon-cutting ceremony at the gate in Terminal 4 before the first flight left Fort Lauderdale to London. And uh, I think that uh, that's going to be quite a popular service, actually, uh, by the sounds mm. of things. And the, uh, the flight's scheduled to depart on Thursdays, Saturdays and Sundays and Tuesdays at 5pm and arrive in London at 6.30 the next day. The westbound flight leaves London at 9.25am with schedules arri- scheduled arrivals in Fort Lauderdale at 1.45pm. So that sounds uh, quite interesting. New service for them. I hope, I hope, it does, uh, hope it does well. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me, Nev. I'd imagine that uh, give it a few more uh, months or so, that uh, BA might even put the uh, Dreamliner on that route as well. Yeah, I think so. And the uh, the seven triple seven is getting a, bit, a little bit tired now yeah. um, uh, for BA. They have done some refits recently, but uh, yeah, it, it's getting on a bit now. So uh, as they order more product, and also the A three fifty as well coming into service, uh, that we might see that on on the route as well. Possibly, yeah. BA. I think they got some of them on, on order. The A three fifty. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. You know, I was just wondering. They said they did a water canyon, uh, water cannon salute. You don't suppose that's because it was forty degrees down there that day in Florida? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just trying to cool it all down a bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a little warm down there in the summertime. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah there's been issues actually in the, in the last few weeks, and that with uh, oh, oh, you know, too, it's too hot to fly for certain mm. uh, certain aircraft. So, oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is, is is there a sort of like a max temperature? There is a there? max. I, I never, do you know, I didn't know there is actually a max temperature that uh, aircraft can operate. Yeah, there's max temperature, um, and in terms of, well, obviously it depends how long the runway is and that kind of thing, but also I think there's a max temperature for uh, fuel in the aircraft, although there are fuel oh, cooling course, systems. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think if it gets beyond certain limits, um, uh, you're not allowed to uh, operate Fly the aircraft. It's part wow. of the standard operating procedures. Yeah, the, the ones they had the biggest problem with uh, a week or two ago were a Bombardier because uh, the regional jets are only specced up to 118 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. So if you get above that, <laughs> there are no performance tables. You don't know what settings to yeah. use. So uh, for probably about two days, they canceled uh, 40 flights out of uh, Phoenix. American Airlines just if went ahead and a- canceled them ahead of time. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. But as you say, actually, although the, the aircraft may have had the performance in it to do it, but actually the, uh, there's no performance tables um, exactly. beyond, beyond that temperature range. So. Yeah, so you can either be a test pilot or you could just sit on the ground, <laughs> yeah. which is the, the smart thing to do. And who's yeah. going to be brave enough to do that with an aeroplane full of passengers? <laughs> not, not if you want to keep your license. At 118 degrees, that's going to be ridiculously uncomfortable in the cabin as well. Ugh. Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't imagine working in that amount of heat. <laughs> and I tell you, it's just as well it wasn't a water foam uh, cannon salute, which which happened a while back, didn't they? Had an aircraft that was um, showered with uh, with fire retardant. Oh no! Foam. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was a bit of a whoops, yeah. wasn't it? Yes, yeah, all in the engine. Yes. So, <laughs> so moving on to uh, to the next story, and uh, this story is uh, all for you, Max. Well, we're talking about the uh, the Cirrus jet, right? Yep, that's the certainly one. are. Oh, man, I sat in this thing uh, a couple of weeks ago in uh, Knoxville, which is the delivery center for uh, for Cirrus. Very, very cool uh, aircraft. Uh, so Cirrus is marketing the Vision SF-50 as a plane that dramatically cuts the cost of buying a jet. It comes with a $2 million price tag, and uh, they say they're less expensive than their nearest uh, jet-powered competitor, which, by the way, is because they're the only single-engine jet. All the other light jets out there are twins, so that's why this is uh, less expensive. And it, they say it competes in the VLJ or very light jet uh, category against models like the Eclipse, 
It's less than a Citation M2 and the Embraer Phenom 100. Uh, these jets generally don't require a professional pilot or co-pilot. Well, let's let's examine that statement for a moment. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to think that anybody who is flying one of these jets yes. considers themselves a professional. A professional, yes, absolutely. Uh, but, the, but I think what they mean by that is that they're targeted toward owners who will fly the aircraft themselves. Right. Yeah. Maximum range of about 1,300 miles, which is from the marketing department. Um, <laughs> and what I mean by that is there's always a trade-off between the number of passengers you would take and the amount of fuel you'll carry on board. So, yeah, if you were Light on pastures, full on fuel, you could make it out to 1,300 miles. And Sears Vice President says uh, the jet created its own category. There's no one else there, which is absolutely true. And it's aimed at both the business executive and the pleasure pilot. Now, this part I totally agree with. With enormous windows, a spacious cabin that resembles the inside of a large SUV, it was designed to provide a luxury experience that's a far cry from flying a commercial jet. And when I sat in this thing, I was just stunned. It is so easy to get into. Uh, and when you're inside, you have tons of cabin space. Uh, it's just a really, really remarkable Because looking, so, looking at the picture, Max, it doesn't look... It, you know the picture it shows on here doesn't look that big you know it doesn't look like mm -hmm. it would be you know you know cavernous inside but it is it's uh it, so it's going to be a little bit more narrow in the back but where i was sitting up in the uh the front row boy you just have a tremendous amount of uh, space and i'll give you a good comparison i've spent some time in uh, cessna citations and I, i'm six feet tall and literally it takes me about you know 60 seconds to try and get into the front seat of a cessna citation i mean it's that cramped and i'm sure they designed it that way years ago to keep the you know the the aircraft narrow so they could get better performance uh you know with the the, the uh, cirrus you just have a lot of room up there you're not cramped at all you just kind of hop in and hop out I mean, it's just it's it's a remarkable experience. Wow. And you're lucky enough to have bought on one. I'm yeah, jealous. so I was back at the factory. Uh, I was teaching, uh, and they had uh, customer jet number one was there in the shop. So we did a uh, podcast show for uh, Aviation News Talk where I sat with a couple of their uh, directors, and we you know, kind of talked about the airplane. So that uh, V-tail on the back, uh, they needed that because of the uh, the single-engine jet is mounted on the you know on the back of the aircraft. So if you had a conventional tail, you'd be shooting hot gases right at the <laughs> vertical <laughs> nice. the vertical stabilizer, which could be a problem, you know, after an hour or so of that. But uh, those uh, V-tailed stabilizers, those things, they don't look that big, but they're about 10 feet tall each. So that tail is really uh, pretty big. Another thing I noticed as well, Max, on the uh, on the photographs on this site of the uh, interior on the on the actual flight deck of the aircraft, it's uh, it's amazingly car-like, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Very, very much like you know you're, you're sitting in a car. Apart from you haven't got a steering wheel, you've got side sticks. But you know air vents. You've got you know you obviously your trim wheel. I think that's, it's a trim wheel, isn't it, on the uh, center pedestal there? But everything is very yeah. It's almost I'll tell you what this almost like. Going back to uh, to the eighties, it's almost like Night Rider. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> that is going right. back. Yeah, was that, was that the talking car kit? And yeah, that's yeah, it. That's yeah. the one. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah, I remember. Okay, I've heard about that show. I'm not old enough to have actually seen it when it was in production. Um, kidding there, of course. Yeah, no, I, I I made the same comment when I climbed into it partway through. I said to the guy sitting next to me, I said, "Wow, this looks like it was designed to feel like a car." Mm. And you know, you look at the little uh, vents on the far right. It's like, whoa, that looks like the vent in the car. You know, all the cockpit, all the controls are, you know, concentrated in the center. It's not like your typical jet where you have, you know, switches that go from, you know, one foot to the left of you to one foot to the right of you. You know, it's wall-to-wall -wall bank of switches. Uh, you know, they use touch screens very well to just minimize the total number of 
of uh, controls that are required. Uh, so it's incredibly clean layout. How yeah. much? Is, how much does one of these set you back, uh, Max? Do you know off the top of your? Yeah, uh, two two million is two million. Uh, you know what what they're doing right now. And unfortunately, if you want to buy one, you're looking at about a six year wait. I think they've got about a uh, backlog years. of. Uh, yeah, I think the backlog is either six or seven hundred aircraft. I forget God, which it is. Blimey. And they're going to build uh, maybe about thirty five this year, eighty next year, and then a hundred in each of the uh, you know subsequent years. But it, I mean, I'm just putting that for those of you watching in YouTube uh, now. Obviously, if you want, if you are listening to the audio version of this show, then take yourself to um, the uh, the uh, the show notes. I'll put the links in there. But it's basically the USA uh, today. Mm. So if you look for this, the name of this plane. I mean, honestly, it it's a stunning really little stunning, aeroplane. Yeah. It really yeah. is, isn't it? It just looks, it just looks really nice. It's been well engineered. I think you'll have to start signing up now, Nev. Yes, that's going to take a while, isn't it? Well, it'd take me more than six years to save too many. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or too many dollars, or yeah, too yeah, many absolutely. of any currency, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And we haven't even talked about the most amazing feature, which is the only jet that has a parachute. Uh, and it's mounted what? in the uh, up, up in the nose. It's a serious. So I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that fills me with the greatest amount. As a nervous flyer, uh, I'm not sure that fills me with the greatest amount of confidence, I have to be honest. They're, you know, suggest that they don't have confidence in their own product if they it's, a, it's an amazing it's an amazing thing that Cirrus done with the, you know with their aircraft the SR22 and that yeah. if you've seen the, the YouTube videos of these and stuff I mean they, mm. they have saved lives yeah, many yeah, it's many quite lives. remarkable and, yeah. and that's why the accident rate on the on the Cirrus is lower than uh, any other general aviation well lower than the average of all other general aviation aircraft so it is statistically one of the safest aircraft with one of the lowest uh, fatality rates uh, and you know if you go back three four years ago that was not the case there used to be more fatal accidents than parachute pulls and then they uh, really put an emphasis on training and now they're more parachute pulls than uh, than fatal accidents and the rate is you know fatal accident rate is really really low so I think this was a, a good thing to put on the jet uh, it just takes some of the same safety features that they've proven and applied them to their their largest plane what's really fascinating is uh, there were one or two pulls on the the cirrus where people were too fast and their parachute shredded this aircraft is built so that when you pull the handle the airplane then goes through uh, a slowing process and it doesn't release the chute until it has slowed the aircraft uh, slow enough to deploy it really wow. now that is clever that is yeah. clever We'll talk that about is we'll incredible talk. technology. I know. We'll, we'll, we'll grill yeah. Max on the uh, finer details of that later. <laughs> so moving on to the next story. Uh, this one is on the aviationanalyst.net site. It's uh, the headline, Improved Sonica 200. Are you not going to let Owen have a go? Oh, is, is Owen? <laughs> have I missed Owen? <laughs> It's a bit rude, isn't it? <laughs> have you read your show notes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know those show notes you were complaining about? Yeah, you basically mix. You, you, you got oh, four or five the wrong way around. I've got four or five the wrong way around. Yes, yeah, yeah, so that's why I'm So, Owen, oh, perhaps you oh, would carry on. Max is a much better place to, to, talk, about the, yeah. <laughs> to talk about the series. This is from the Aviation Analysis Wing, and it says, Improved Sonica at 200 achieves first flight. Belgium-based Sonica Aircraft has commenced flight testing of improved version of its Sonica 200 light single two-seater aircraft. Compared to the first amateur construction prototype unveiled in 2015, the improved variants have 80% of the structure redesigned to meet market and ES, uh, EASA certification requirements. The flight test aircraft 2, which, which was assembled in Sonica's uh, Gossai's <laughs> factory, <laughs> I think, in Belgium, <laughs> took to the skies on its maiden flight on June the 20th. 
The four-month flight test campaign will be carried out in Belgium and in France in Avignon. And uh, the flight test aircraft one is entirely dedicated for ground tests. The ground and flight trials are being conducted with the aim of obtaining EASA certification by September. So that's pretty quick, actually. And the shape of the aircraft, the wing profile, and the choice of materials have been maintained. The redesign enabled a 750-kilogram maximum takeoff mass with a 4.4G uh, load factor, a 25% increase compared to the initial aircraft. The structures have been reinforced. The main spars of the wing, the uh, connection to the fuselage and the central spar have been redesigned and some aluminium alloys have been modified in order to take account of the aerodynamic loads, material fatigue, as well as corrosion-related aspects. The changes also focus on strengthening the canopy arches, the landing gear and the vertical and a horizontal empennage, including uh, its connection to the fus fuselage. The propeller, the braking system, as well as the instrumentation and fuel system has also been strengthened. The Sonica 200 is a low-wing, side-by-side seat, fully metallic aircraft intended for pilot training and leisure flights, equipped with a fixed tricycle landing gear with a steerable nose gear. Its conventional structure is composed of advanced aluminum, uh, alloy frames, stringers and sheets, which will provide very effective corrosion protection. All of its control surfaces are actuated through push rod mechanisms. The aircraft features certified brakes, electrical flaps and Garmin in instrumentation. It's designed for a cruise speed of 115 knots and can achieve a climb rate of 750 feet per minute. The multi-fuel 115 horsepower Rotax 914 piston engine consumes 20 litres of fuel per hour and enables 800 nautical miles flight range. And according to the, uh, the Sonica's website, you can pre-order this from only 175,000 euros. Well, it's, it? a, it's a bit cheaper than the other aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> Not as nice, though, is it? Let's be honest. I mean, I put, put again, no, put a couple of photos up uh, uh, whilst we, we were, I'd, were talking I'd, about I'd love that. to fly. I'd love to be going that, trying in that. That'd Dude, be, you would you would be happy it. flying a washing machine if it had wings on it. Let's be honest. No, a paper <laughs> aeroplane. Paper aeroplane. Indeed. Is you, this, uh, is this you, don't, you don't really care as long oh, as you're no. behind the controls of an aeroplane. Ah, exactly. <laughs> is this uh, is this an uh, aircraft you, uh, you've, you're well-versed on, Max? You know, I, actually, it is uh, one that we talked about in uh, this week's uh, show. So I had an unusual amount of uh, international news. I had, believe it or not, two stories from Belgium uh, uh, this week. So, yeah, trying to make uh, you know a good uh, sampling of general aviation news from around the world each week. Oh, good, good. And uh, we have... We'd, I mean, given the chance, I suppose you, you'll you'll no doubt get a chance to fly one of these at some point, I'd imagine, Max, if they make their way over to the U.S. Well, sure. I mean, once they finally get one that'll fly far enough to get across the ocean. <laughs> you never know. Anything, well, you anything never know. could yeah, happen. Anything could happen. So moving on. It definitely looks oh. like a, a very, very good aircraft to to fly in. It certainly looks well built. And, a good trainer. Uh, yeah, good trainer. Yeah, yeah, very good trainer. Mm. Um, it's built for slow speeds and lots of um, aerobatics, uh, or well, not quite aerobatics, but high G loads. And uh, yeah, it's a shame it's Some... a low wing, but there we go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Okay, I'll, I'll, stick, yeah. I'll stick with the one fifty. I think. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. I've, I've, <laughs> I've had a go at flying a low wing aircraft. It was it was strange. I that, have two actually. Yeah, yeah, that was when uh, Captain Al came down uh, last summer. Oh, in the little Piper 20... Piper 28? 
pipe uh, uh, twenty eight. Yeah, PA twenty eight. Yeah, I know. So he does listen. This is he where ca- this is where Captain Al will actually pop up yeah. in the chat room and say, "No, it was or a piper forty something or other." Yeah, no, 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 anyway, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a piper. I know that much. <laughs> so moving on to the next story on the uh, commercial. You can take this one if you like. The com- <laughs> is this yours? Oh, no, right. it's yours. The commercial. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm going to kick you in a minute. Oh, the dear. commercial appeal. <laughs> oh, there we go. The commercial appeal, part of the USA Today Networks. The uh, headline: Boeing FedEx announced big cargo freighter has next flying test bed. So the uh, Boeing Triple Seven, made for FedEx Express, will be the latest uh, in the aircraft manufacturer's Eco Demonstrator series of planes designed to test emerging technologies. The company said the plane featuring propulsion advancements and flight deck innovations will undergo three months of testing uh, next year before returning to the FedEx fleet. Uh, Key features will include a Boeing-developed compact thrust reverser design to save fuel, flight deck improvements to increase efficiency of operations at busy airports, and flying prototype airplane parts using manufacturing techniques that reduce material waste. It's the fifth aircraft and the first for FedEx in the Eco Demonstrator program, which creates flying test beds to improve environmental performance and safety of the future of airplanes. Uh, the program began in 2011 with an American Airlines Next Generation 737-800 aircraft. FedEx is committed to developing and implementing innovation solutions that connect the world responsibly and resourcefully, FedEx uh, President and Chief Executive David Cunningham said in a release. We're proud to work with Boeing and use our 777 freighter to play a key role in uh, bringing future benefits to the entire aviation industry, Cunningham said. Mike Sinnott, Vice President of Boeing Commercial Aircraft Product Development, said the Eco Demonstrator program is focused on harvesting exciting new technologies that will benefit our airline customers and the flying public and the environment. The Boeing 777 Freighter is FedEx's largest and longest range aircraft capable of connecting the world hub in Memphis non-stop to cargo hubs in Europe, China and the Middle East. The company had 30 777s in its 657 aircraft fleet as of May the 31st, with deliveries of 16 scheduled by 2022. Wow. Are you right there? Yes, yeah, all good. Oh, yeah. Wonder what you're doing there, man. Yeah. I was getting worried. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's fine. It's all about. It's all about. So basically, it's all about the eco. I mean, airlines are trying to be more, um, more. You know, so I, I should just explain. Basically, what, what, why, why Carlos is getting a bit distracted is because my laptop keeps crashing. You know that wonderful Windows oh, product yes. that I keep whinging about oh. most weeks. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I know, indeed. And uh, basically, it, it's it's getting its own back, and it keeps crashing. So uh, I'm having to load the stories up, ladies and gentlemen, on, on my mobile phone. phone so that I can oh, still no. participate <laughs> in the show. But anyway, there we are. Yeah, actually. So while I've got all the tech working, shall I perhaps press on with the next? Story? Yeah, you can do the yeah, next. Story, okay. Yeah. Now uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Max. You're a scholar and a gent. Uh, Now, um, eagle-eyed viewers, this is on the standard. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. Just carry on. Don't Uh, tell them. See who notices in the chat room. Okay. All right. So I've got a special picture that I'm going to put up whilst I'm reading the story. Make sure you listen to Matt's headline. Yes, indeed. So this is the Evening Standard. This is uh, the newspaper that is currently edited by our ex-Chancellor of the Exchequer here in the UK, who has obviously done his research thoroughly. Uh, the Evening Standard is the newspaper. Do you know what's so sad? Even I spotted this. 
this. So, uh, <laughs> guys in the chat room, if you don't get this, I'm going to be I very ready disappointed in you. Here we go. Right, we go. So, I'm, I'm watching the chat I'll room. I'll put the picture up and start reading, shall I? Yeah. Here we go. Put the picture up. Right. There we go. Passengers using budget airline Monarch can now bid what against each other. Uh, that was Monarch. Oh, okay. uh, can now bid against each other for extra legroom. The airline launched two features for the two new features for. Uh, features for passengers today called the extra comfort seat and a bid for extra legroom feature. Uh, it, it will see customers battling it out online for extra spaces or upgraded seats. Customers will be able to purchase as many as two extra seats on flights with the company claiming the policy will allow customers to treat themselves to something better. Passengers will also be able to bid on upgraded seats with more legroom if they apply up to 26 hours before departure. How's the chat room doing just out of curiosity? <laughs> <laughs> how's, it, how's it all going there? Has anybody noticed anything? It, it's scrolling by like a, a, <laughs> like on a, kind of on, on a gas pump. I can't even read it. <laughs> Excellent. Hugo, somewhere or other I can't pronounce, Monarch's loyalty and retail product. Was that Monarch, uh, Matt? That would be say? Monarch Airlines. Oh, yeah, Monarch. Yes, okay, so just checking. Sure. Yeah, Monarch. Monarch. Uh, and retail product development manager said that we are delighted to be the first UK airline to offer these particular products to our customers. We take great delight in our fantastic customer service and with our new extra comfort seat and bid for extra legroom initiatives, customers can now add more comfort to their journey when they're flying with... Monarch. All right. Do you know what? All the time you're reading that story, Matt, judging by the photograph. Yeah, do you know? I thought it was a Boeing 737 And I could have sworn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That the that livery um, reminded interior me of something. Yeah. Was, was, was Ryanair. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what ever gave you that idea. I mean, it's just. Uh, I mean, that. I mean. Uh, well, uh, I mean, it's a very unique design that that particular airline has chosen. And um, Tony S has probably, uh, I think Tony S has had a few has too exploded. many uh, beers. <laughs> he said that's that's B A. Yeah, um, is it right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. That's ne not Nev's, Nev's yeah. now on his way yeah. round. Ne Nev's, Tony. Nev's gone a funny colour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, indeed. Uh, so yes, excellent work Ooh. by our ex chancellor there uh, with his <laughs> editing uh, prowess, because that clearly was a photograph for a different. Airline. You know how we love accurate news reporting here at but, PTUK Towers. But the, the Towers. second picture yeah. on that story was actually uh, an I didn't get past the airlines. first, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get past the first story. Anyway, uh, everybody's been uh, very quiet about this. <laughs> I, I was going to say, this all seems so British, so uh, civil. I mean, here in the US, we just go battle it out in the cockpit, you know, armed to arm hand <laughs> combat. You know, to, who gets the best seat here? Quite right, you know, absolutely. I mean, this, this is too yeah. tame. Yes, no, but you see, we, we like queuing here in the UK. This is the thing, you see, that's something we're very good at is queuing. We like to make a nice orderly queue. Uh, and if we can do it all politely, you know, we can all swear about each other in our own homes uh, on our computer swearing because we've lost our auction. That's fine, you know. But obviously when we get to the term, we like to be very, we like to be very British, don't we, Never about these things? You know, there are, there oh, are uh, rules. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, quite, yeah, I, th I think right. that the, um, it's, it's, I, mean, I was just thinking the other day, maybe we should do a, 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 a show just about about, uh, media errors. I think, I think so. Yes, I think we should definitely do an offshoot. Last the whole day. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, I think <laughs> we should do that. Twenty-four hour show. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do yeah. you find this, Max, in the US that you get a lot of um, media uh, misreporting, clerical yeah. errors in the yeah, reporting? Oh my gosh! <laughs> I don't even want to. I don't even want to go there. <laughs> don't want to open that can of worms. Yeah. Okay. yeah. This yeah. is only a two-hour show, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, good, good. yeah no, maybe we should super. move on. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm guessing. I'm guessing, and you haven't seen that latest story about the Boeing uh, 380. 
No. No. <laughs> <laughs> or the Airbus Triple Seven. No, it's just, it's one oh, of those. oh, that. No, I have that. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> that right. Project, I, I'm completely <laughs> lost there. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. So uh, moving on to uh, to the next. Story. So who's going to take the next story? The next story is Nev. <laughs> is it? Yes. Right. Okay. Well, that's good news. Uh, now this this story, I don't really believe Nev. If I'm brutally honest, I don't understand how one could fly. No, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I don't know if you can <laughs> might put, yes, put up some pictures. Yes, I should put some pictures up. This is from the Telegraph, and um, it's it's all about the, the world's first convertible private jet. And that's and, the bit that's um, worrying me, if I'm honest. the world's last, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah uh, There's a bit yeah, more yeah, detail yeah. to come here. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, the, it says, whilst the most extravagant of private jets might already feature double beds, shower rooms and multimedia centres, the newly unveiled Infinito aircraft is set to debut a feature that will impress even the most jaded oligarch. I- Infinito? In- shouldn't that just be Finito? <laughs> I, 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 I think the clue's in the title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> When in flight, passengers who look overhead will have an unimpeded view of the sky above. This sensation of being in a convertible private jet is provided not by a glass ceiling, but instead by a screen that will run the length of the cabin. Ah. Sophisticated camera equipment will relay a seamless live stream of the vistas enveloping the plane. Should passengers find the sensation discombobulating or uncomfortable, the screen can instead be used to broadcast other images. Um, I just can't imagine the technology that they'll be using here for this. But um, they're they're saying that this is also known as the Airbus ACJ390neo corporate jet. The Infinito has been designed by Airbus in collaboration with Pagani Automobili, an uh, ultra-exclusive Italian hypercar manufacturer that ordinarily produces only 45 bespoke cars each year. The latter company's rarefied aesthetic is imprinted throughout the aircraft's interiors which replicate and reference designs seen in its automobiles. Carpets are made of natural soft leather. Furniture is partially crafted from carbon fibre. And the design team state that the cabin echoes the combination of art and science originally espoused by Leonardo Leonardo da Vinci. Um, And... uh, the combination of the state-of-the-art composite materials never used before in an aircraft, such as carbo-titanium, with the typical design language of Pagani Automobili, has always represented our signature. This is interesting. Comfortably flying eight passengers, the aircraft has a range of 6,750 nautical miles, which is uh, 12,500 kilometres, or 15 hours. And travellers will uncover a range of other nifty features on board, One dividing wall, for example, turns from opaque to transparent at the touch of a button. Sculptural uh, elements reference those found in Pagani cars and a panoply of discrete LEDs allows, says Airbus, for various mood lighting ambiences. And the standard design also features a bedroom with double bed, dining area and shower. So some of this technology I've used quite a bit, actually, mm. um, things like the, um, the the LED lighting and the 
uh, technology which changes uh, from opaque to transparent and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's going to be interesting to see how they manage it in the ceiling of the aircraft. But, and presumably, again, it's a, a composite material uh, designed throughout. Um, at, so it'll at be the interesting risk of, to see how this looks. At the risk of Carlos playing the Nokia tone thingy that I get every time I go off on some kind of technical Carry on. Rant. Carry um, on. I, I mean, I'm assuming, Ned, this, is going to be, this has got to be LED um, sort of, because you can get these sort of wraps now, can't you, that they can mm, push yeah. um, signals and stuff through to to actually get the images. I mean, it's got to be something lightweight like LED, surely. To, yeah, to, I'll, if it's I'll part do a bit roof. of research on this um, separately, actually, and just see what what technology they're going to use in there. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, to talk about making the, the cabin extremely light, and of course, the only thing I would say about it is that um, it's just going to be such a different experience, isn't it? So yeah. um, it'll be, I think, it'll be quite interesting to see um, how it turns out and, and the kinds of uh, images that they. Uh, they, they put on there and, and how you will feel as a, as a passenger as yeah. well that's the uh, most uh, well the, the, the thing that's most different to a, a normal experience of course well, I, this think, is it. I, wonder, I think I was going to say one of the worrying images Matt put on the screen when that uh, when Nev was reading that story was was uh, a candlelit dinner. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm not on, sure. Uh, I candles feel on a table that, yeah. lit. Actual candles, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> did anyone spot or, that? Or, I don't know or perhaps they're LED as well. That's perhaps they're LED be. candles. Yeah. Yes, they could be LED candles. <laughs> you're going to say, uh, Owen? Yeah. I was just going to say when you're that close up to uh, an LED panel as massive as that. Do you think it's actually going to look realistic? Depends on the definition they use, isn't it? I mean, because you think you can get LED panels that are now 4K. I mean... Well, obviously the resolution for this is going to have to be a lot more than that. And actually yeah. it's the pitch of the LED. So, it, it, for example, at uh, Formula One events or um, horse racing, that the pitch of the LED would be um, sort of seven millimetre or something like that. So you're talking In, about like, the uh, screens that you it, see at, at these yeah, events. Yeah, yeah, and we've just finished a, a large conference room or large auditorium uh, for a client at work where the LED pitch is 0.9 millimetre. So obviously wow. the closer you are, yeah. The, oh, uh, yeah. the, the higher resolution... It, it will be with, mm. with that technology, but it will be seriously expensive. And actually, the weight penalty must be quite huge. But they are talking about uh, quite good uh, range out of this aircraft. So it'll be interesting to see how it, how it really works in, uh, yeah. in real life. Yeah, more, more research required, I what think. What do you think, Max? Mm. One for you? No, yeah, I, uh, I don't even know where to start on this. I mean, it just sounds <laughs> crazy. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. But, but <laughs> I would imagine since those screens are six feet above you, you know, the resolution won't be uh, too big a deal. But I guess, uh, you know, after people have had one or two drinks, it's not going to matter what's up there. Well, no, that's <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can, sitting you, on those seats is going to be, oh, that looks yeah, it so does look so comfortable, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. So moving on to the next story. And uh, this one is, uh, this one, well, should we <laughs> stick to the show notes? this time yeah go on stick yeah. to the show notes which which means it's owens it's go, owen. basically owens <laughs> go this one <laughs> so this one is from the irish times.com a very reputable irish uh, newspaper of course and absolutely it says, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's only appropriate really that it read in an irish accent let's be honest <laughs> <laughs> it says clear beach lifeguards take to the skies with drones a software firm teams up with clear county council to trial drones patro drone patrols at spanish point beach an Irish software startup has uh, teamed up with the Clare County Council and its partnerships will see Drones SAR, developers of a new drone search and rescue app, uh, allow lifeguards to quickly deploy drones as their first response to monitor those in distress. Drone SARs 
Uh, flight planning software allows drones to scan large areas from above, reduce risk to search and rescue personnel and shorten search times and ultimately save lives. The new partnership will see lifeguards in Spanish Point, uh, Spanish Point Beach equipped with drones and the drone SAR software. Drone SAR will provide the drones to the and Irish Aviation Authority drone instructors to supervise the drone flights in the early stages. Drones will be flown within the bounds of the IAA drone regulations. So it's a fantastic little article, just uh, kind of with one of those drones that uh, Matt, your friend has. It, yeah. Uh, that's what's in the picture, I think. It yeah, is, it's yeah, a DJI. Very similar. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, DJI. That, he's got, I mean, I think he's got, got a smaller version. He's got a Mavic. Those, I think it? he's got a Mavic Pro, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but it's but a great bit of kit, isn't it? It's, it's uh, amazing. It's the, 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 the amount of users now that are coming out for... Uh, for you know, these UAVs and stuff. Well, it's, it's, it's just, nice to yeah. have a story that's not negative about mm. drones, actually, <laughs> about to be drone, honest yeah. with you. you, know, sort of dri- you but know. It's, a, it's a good idea. I mean, ima- imagine the amount of area you could monitor mm. uh, in, in, in high definition with uh, with one of these drones, especially in a, in a busy area like a beach when we do occasionally get the sun here in the UK, um, that you know, you, you'll have this drone to be able to fly over the beach to, just to keep an eye on that. Uh, yeah. You know, some by, you know, swimmers and stuff like that. Now, now at, the, at the risk of, um, uh, I was going to throw this over to our esteemed guest here. I mean, do, how do you feel about drones? I mean, are they? I mean, I mean, many could argue that they're they're a pain in the ass, frankly, a lot of the time. But well, it kind of depends where they hit you. Right. Okay. Fair <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well played, it, sir. Yeah. It, it, it actually, as an owner of multiple drones, I can actually tell you what it feels like to fly hey, okay, wow, into cool. yourself. So. Yeah, yeah. So I have to ask the question: What have you got? What what uh, what uh, is in your choice. collection? Oh gosh, I've got a sorted number of small Hubsons. I've got a uh, Phantom uh, DJI. Um, Lovely. Phantom two, I guess, one of the earlier ones, and I've got some of the, the Parrot to AR drones. So yeah, uh, the, the funny thing is, I uh, my, about three years ago, my wife said she wanted to learn to fly radio-controlled airplanes, and I'd never been interested in them before, and so we went off to uh, to learn to uh, to do that. And so uh, every weekend, uh, you know, we're off flying RC, and then during the week, I fly the big thing. So one guy who didn't know me at the RC place said, "So what do you do when you're not flying?" And I said, "Well, eat and sleep." <laughs> yes, fair enough. Fair, fair enough. I was just, so out of out of those particular drones, do you have a favorite um you know the I, I, honestly i, I fly my rc more than my drones so right well no, no, fair I mean, yeah as okay. i say there's a big thing obviously with the with the djis and the hub sand stuff i mean it, what do you in your personal view is the best one out of the two because obviously the, the djr is the more well-known and popular and more expensive uh one max you know it, the hub sand is quite a good product as well yeah, so I've got the, the the lesser expensive Hubsons, the you know, the kind of the fifty sixty dollar range, and I think they are great for training and you know, and learning to fly. Uh, and so, yeah, if you uh, kind of cut your teeth on those, then move up to a DJI. You know, you'll have more skills, and yeah, so it's a nice progression, I think. Uh, have you, Nev? Have you ever been t- tempted to get your hands on a drone? I mean, has that ever interested you in any way, shape, or form? You know, it it, it should do, shouldn't it? But yeah, it, I have had no interest in it so far at all. I'm just wondering whether this is something which I'm going to get interested in uh, later on. A lot of my uh, business colleagues or industry colleagues are qualified drone pilots, and, oh, wow. and they use it a lot for 
production and, and yeah. this kind of thing. So I know quite a lot of drone operators and, and fully qualified ones that, as that's, well. That's kind of um, really where I was going with this, Nev, because I mean, obviously, yeah. given what what you do, sort of outside of of aviation, sort of and uh, that kind of thing. I mean, it, it is uh, as I say, it must be something that you you come across on on an almost sort of weekly basis. I mean, they're they're used so much in TV production and news gathering and uh, and things like that now. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I, yeah, have you had it, a go? It, the, the technology, not not just for the, the drone itself, but the, the video technology associated with it is, is yeah. fantastic. The quality is incredible. And the, you know, the, the quality is, is absolutely you know of, of broadcast quality. So yeah. um, it might be something which I might get into later on, but um, <laughs> don't tell Mrs. Nev. No, no, no. no, 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 no. I, I Your secret is safe with us. I was going to say it's one to put on uh, on Mrs. Nev's uh, Christmas list. Uh-oh. Well, <laughs> it'll be on her radar if yes. I ever get one. That's yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But you, you can't yeah. really, you can't really hide a drone, can you? No, no, indeed, <laughs> indeed. We're, now, I mean, we're not, we're not still hiding from her the cost of the audio equipment, are we? Uh, yeah, right. Always. <laughs> Oh, I don't know what you're on about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, thought, I thought this stuff was free. That's yeah. why. That's why Neville's sat there. Studio is soundproof. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she can't hear what's going on at the moment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, Owen. I mean, I mean, this, this, these must appeal to you, surely. Yeah, they do, but I've never, uh, I've never tried one. I've never got my hands on one. I, I, I would like to. Um, I'm pretty sure i'd be pretty awful he's <laughs> coming I mean, from a guy who wants to be a pilot don't tell me that <laughs> it's different it, it is different, it's different. different. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay different. yeah max is max very, is nodding here yeah absolutely totally totally different set of skills yeah I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, the one we, we keep talking about. We'll have to get Sam on and get him to bring it in and, and, yeah. and show us actually. But he's uh, his one is like it's got like a homing function in it. So like when the battery starts to go flat, it goes home and and stuff like that. It, per- I mean, perhaps that's another. See, I could do that with autopilot functions. Yeah, right. okay. that'd be fine. <laughs> I, I was going to say that. Perhaps... Program it to play. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I could do that. Yeah. Okay. Perhaps that's, a, that's maybe, another maybe job so that um, action, like... that Max could have would be a, a drone CFI. Oh. Well, and some of the folks that uh, provide training here in the U.S., uh, online courses and stuff like that, have moved to uh, providing online uh, drone, you know, training courses. So, wow. Yeah, there's a market for that. Yeah, definitely. There we go. Sounds like a plan. Anyway, we should then. probably stop talking yeah. about uh, UAVs now. <laughs> droning on here, droning yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, droning on, droning and on. So the, yeah. uh, the last story, a all-important story, this one, saved for our guest this evening, because he knows everything there is to do about this. So, uh, so Max. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. No, he does. <laughs> Matt, he covers this. Covers this in the. Uh, he's one of his. Um, well, covered this in quite a lot in his shows. But uh, Max, you know, you know all the ins and outs about this story. Oh, ATC privatization proposal uh, here yes, in the United States. Yeah, and uh, you know, as, as background, I spent about forty hours researching a, a show uh, which we put out last week on mm. Aviation News Talk, which ran uh, two hours. Uh, <laughs> had uh, Rob Mark from Flying Magazine yep. join oh, me. Yeah, we Rob, we yeah. ran probably more than a dozen audio clips yeah. from uh, both the the president, uh, from congressmen who were testifying, uh, from pilots from other countries who were have you know, experienced privatization and the fees that they have to pay. Wow. Uh, so we really did a deep dive on this. And I, I learned a lot more about it than than I knew, and it's just oh, the more you learn about it, the the more it looks like we're in for a, a bad deal, a certainly for general aviation, yeah. if it passes in the United States. But this story comes from AOPA, and they say GA unites against ATC privatization. Forty-six industry groups. I didn't know we had that many. Uh, <laughs> issues a joint statement following AOPA call to action. 
and it says that they've all voiced their opposition to the 21st Century Air Act, which I think is misspelled. I think it should be spelled E-R-R-O-R. I think it would be a big error if they passed the uh, 21st Century Air Act. Anyway, this basically <laughs> would uh, cleave the air traffic control function from the FAA. And this article says hand it to the airlines. Well, it would be handed to a uh, nonprofit corporate, uh, corporation run by 13 people, some of whom would be picked by the airlines. And so one of the key points of debate is, well, is it really run by the airlines or is it you know, run by a more balanced uh, board? But they go on to say in the article that uh, GA contributes more than $219 billion to our total economic output. And I'd love to get about 1%, by the way, so that would be a fair, <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair enough, percentage yes. for me to take. Uh, supports 1.1 million jobs, includes a network of thousands of airports and uh, heliports, and they say privatization would jeopardize that, and I totally agree. In their call to action, they've asked members to uh, voice their concerns to the representatives in Congress and oppose the House bill. Now, they mentioned the House bill because the Senate has a separate bill which does not include privatization. So the House and the Senate currently are split as to whether uh, ATC should be uh, split out. Um, so what Mark Baker, the AOPA president, says handling handing over air traffic control to the airlines would increase costs for all travelers. By the way, that comes directly from a, a Delta study. Uh, would disproportionately hurt rural America and general aviation and create a too-big-to-fail institution leaving taxpayers on the hook for bailouts. So basically everybody is lined up against it. Um, and just to kind of let you know some of the things that have gone on, this has been proposed for more than 20 years uh, here in the United States. Every six to eight uh, you know, years it kind of rears its ugly head, kind of like the monster in that movie that just can't be killed. <laughs> you know, just when you think it's dead, <laughs> it, it comes up again. Um, but among all the airlines, Delta has uh, split apart from everyone else. Delta put out a study last year in which they said in a uh, period from 1996 to 2012, the uh, ATC cost in uh, Canada went up uh, 60%. In the UK, they went up 30%. And in the US at that time, they went up ta-da, 6%. Uh, and they said that they looked at Canada, and they said that the higher fees there uh, resulted in an increase in airline ticket prices, which sent Canadians across the border to find cheaper airline uh, tickets by you know, departing from uh, U.S. airports like Buffalo and places like that that are uh, close to the border. Um, some of the you, uh, Max, actually, yeah. just sorry to interrupt you. You know, you said it's been going on for, for 20 years or so, and every six yeah. to eight or year, six to eight years, it rears its ugly head again. Do you think it's um, gaining more momentum uh, now with, with the, this current uh, publicity that we're hearing about? Yeah, sadly it has. I think it's um, it's gotten to the point where it wouldn't be too difficult to uh, to push it over. Uh, in the past, um, you know, we've had pretty solid support in Congress against it. Now it looks like you know the House may actually be in favor of it. So, yeah, this is as close to it passing as we have ever seen, which is which is pretty scary. Sure. And it's um, you know it's interesting. It's it's not really a partisan issue in the past. Uh, you know, different, uh, you know, Democratic administrations, Republican administrations have brought it up. It's a little bit partisan, you know, this time just because everything is. <laughs> so it tends to be more supported by Republicans than uh, than by uh, Democrats. But some of the key differences here versus, uh, you know, what they've done in other parts of the world, uh, you know, usually privatization, uh, you know, government sells the assets to the highest bidder who then, you know, runs a company. They're not talking about that. They want to take $53 billion of assets that taxpayers paid for and just give it away to uh, to this group uh, as opposed to, you know, to the highest bidder. And then on top of giving them all that, uh, they think they'll probably need, you know, 6 or $7 billion of, you know, seed money to get started. 
Uh, and then <laughs> you look at uh, salaries. You know, the, the chief executive in Nav Canada, their privatized ATC makes uh, two point three million dollars a year, which what? is probably about twenty times more than uh, you know the typical uh, managers in the FAA. Well, maybe ten times. I'm not That's sure the exact numbers crazy. there, but. Uh, yeah. That, that, anyway, do you know that always makes me really stuff like that always makes me really nervous that when you you're talking about something like this, this is basically like a national service. I, I really do feel uncomfortable when something like a national service is making a profit. Do you know what I mean? I feel that that money should be being reinvested back into the network to to, to keep things going. I mean, I don't know if I'm I'm sort of speaking out of turn here, really, but it's the same. Like here, yeah. they privatised the. The, the railway companies and yet we've got probably one of the worst railway systems here in, in, in yep. the entire UK and uh, in the entire yep. world probably and yet these, these companies that are failing uh, you know people are, are, are making huge profits, profits at our expense and I'm really concerned that the same thing is likely to happen with ATC because as you say it's gaining more and more momentum and is, is getting more and more probably inevitable one might be so brave as to say um, and as you say, and these companies are making a profit. That that really frightens me. Yeah. In fact, uh, my my uh, daughter's uh, boyfriend, who's from the uh, UK, was just commenting about the trains a few days ago. Ah, right, exactly. Okay. No, they are a hot, exactly the same. Yeah, they, they are a hot topic here in the UK. It's because you know it's either the weather or trains. Uh, that's all we ever talk about here. Uh, <laughs> no, I think everyone in the chat room pretty much agrees that uh, yeah. I mean, Lane Street has said it's a bad idea. Yeah, um, I think that's a general thing. And actually, uh, we'll talk more about um, uh, the various projects that Max is involved in. But if you do want to have a listen to uh, that podcast, I cannot recommend it highly enough. We've all had a listen to it this week. Uh, even Captain Jeff has been uh, retweeting it as well. Take yourself to aviationnewstalk.com and you'll actually find that it's, it's, it's right there. So that's aviationnewstalk.com. Uh, but obviously, we'll put all these details in the sh so do, so show notes. But seriously, it is a fascinating listen. You must, must, must listen to it. Maybe not right now. Wait till you finish, finish yeah. to this, and th and then do it. But yeah. <laughs> so to, to sum to sum that whole story up in in one quick sentence, M Max. The privatisation. Go on. <laughs> yeah, good away. luck. Yeah. No, you you were going to do it for me. Go right ahead. Yeah. No, far away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it shouldn't uh, happen. I, basically, I think that's where we're going yeah. with this. Yeah. I, I, I think the view is that uh, the airlines would love to do it because it would give them more control and give them the opportunity to uh, shift some of their cost off to general aviation. And I think there's a, another group of folks who just, from an ideological point of view, just believe privatization is always good and should yeah. be done. Yeah. So I really think it's about uh, money, control, and uh, ideology. And everybody in GA says, oh my gosh, this is going to be bad. And if you look at other countries around the world, you know, most people feel that privatization has, has hurt GA in those countries. Mm. Yeah. Right, so that's where we bring Indeed. the commercial news segment of the show to a close. Uh, we have got a uh, very special segment sent in from uh, someone who's not very far, well, I say not very far away from us now, he's, <laughs> he's on the Skype call with us uh, tonight. So we've got a, another of our fantastic segments uh, sent to us by Nev, and it's all about the passenger experience. Yeah, perhaps you'd like to introduce it before we hit yeah, the go, Yeah, introduce your own segment, Nev. Oh, how about that? That's good, isn't it? Yeah, well, I'm uh, very pleased to, I don't often do interviews uh, actually in my own studio here, because I normally uh, go out on location and, and that kind of thing, but uh, as Liz Piper was in the UK and she was staying with us for a couple of days, 
I thought I couldn't resist the temptation to have a chat with her uh, about the whole, uh, you know, her passenger experience on her flight from uh, Toronto to London. And of course, a lot of the people I'm interviewing are very negative about all sorts of things. I've got a lots of negative ones lined up as Excellent. well. But I thought it would be a nice change to have a positive one. And actually, uh, I think I quite like this because Liz, um, she doesn't fly long haul very often, but yeah. I think she was uh, quite impressed with, um, with, with uh, her experience. So here comes part four right now. Hello everyone, it's Nev here again, uh, talking about the passenger experience. But uh, here I am in the studio this week, and I'm very pleased to say I've been joined by Liz Piper, who has made it all the way from Toronto to the United Kingdom, completely unscathed. Hello Liz, nice to see you. Hi Nev, this is such a treat for me to actually be face-to-face -face and doing an interview in the Nev Tech studio. Yeah, how about that? So, uh, no, brilliant. Thanks ever so much for coming. And uh, so, first of all, uh, before we get into the passenger experience, t tell us about your, your trip and, and what you've done so far. Well, that's great. I mean, the, the underlying purpose for the trip was I had a fantastic invitation from uh, Captain Nick Anderson's wife, Jilly. She and I share a love of tennis, and she got tickets to go to Wimbledon and asked me to come over and go with her and stay with them. And then you were nice enough to ask me to come and stay with you for a couple of nights. So that's really the purpose of the trip. So um, I didn't have many options when it came to booking the flights, actually, because I wanted to use some points. And really, the only option was Air Canada, which I thought, mm, how's this going to go? Because Air Canada has a bit of a reputation. Um, but I booked on Air Canada economy, not even premium economy, and flew on the daytime flight, which was really nice for me because it left uh, Toronto Pearson around just after nine in the morning, got into Heathrow around nine at night. So you sort of, your body clock kind of stays um, in sync, if you will. Nice, yeah. So tell us about the, the whole experience for, from the uh, check-in at uh, Toronto Pearson all, all the way through security. What, what, what's it like there? Um, well, interestingly, I happen to be one of those people who gets there very, very early for a flight. So for a 9-10 flight, I was there around 6 in the morning. So it meant that the airport, even though it was busy, it wasn't super-duper busy. And differently than a lot of flights that I take, I'm often going to the States, and you actually clear customs in Toronto when you go to the States, so I didn't have to do that. Um, I had done the online check-in ahead of time, so I had my boarding pass, just had to print out a bag tag. Um, I got pulled over, and they asked to weigh my bag, and I thought, oh dear, this is going to be bad, but all they did was put a heavy sticker on it. So very, very easy. Then they just put it on, and the, your bag's gone. So just decided to go right away through security and get airside and just to, you know, get there. And um, it's great. I mean, one of the things that I think is great in Terminal 1, which is what Air Canada uses at Pearson, is they understand everybody wants their electronics. And they have lots of lovely areas. And you don't even have to buy food to sit in them. You can. You can order food and have it delivered there. But with plugs, USB plugs, and all that kind of stuff. So... I did quite a bit of plane spotting. I had my um, live ATC on, and I was listening to that, true av geek that I am, and was um, watching the planes and just sitting there kind of, you know, talking to my friends and sending out the odd tweet and stuff. So it was great. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, that, sound, that sounds brilliant. And uh, what about the flight itself? What was that uh, economy class like coming across? Was it, was it reasonably comfortable? It was. It was a Dreamliner. And I had um, 
you do this on Air Canada. I don't know if that's true on other airlines. You pay a little bit extra to get either a bulkhead seat or an exit row seat. So I had a bulkhead seat, which was fine. Lots of leg room. Um, the plane departed the gate on time, but all of a sudden stopped, and they went back to the gate, and they realized uh, someone hadn't boarded, and their bag was on board, and they had to get the bag off. And I thought, ooh, what's this going to take? It was about 10, 15 minutes. Um, so I say for a 9-10 flight, we didn't actually get off the ground till maybe 10 to 10. Um, Dreamliner, I thought, was great. It was a relatively new plane. It was about a two-year-old plane. Very quiet, with all due respect to Captain Nick. It was very quiet, very enjoyable. Um, I would say a very senior in both terms, senses of the word flight crew. Um, great. Uh, food was decent. It wasn't great, but it wasn't inedible. Um, IFE, because I was in the bulkhead seat, you had a, one of the kind of screens that pulls up from the side and sort of sits in front. Watched a movie, which was great. And um, no, it was good. I didn't really try to doze just because, as I said, I was flying during the daytime for me. So it was good. Landed uh, about 10 minutes late into Heathrow. I think we did one spin around one of the stacks. Yeah, that wasn't bad at all. And what about uh, getting into Heathrow itself? The, uh, the immigration, the, uh, the, the, the luggage collection, how did that go? Great. We, I believe Air Canada uses Terminal 2 at Heathrow. Um, very good. Got off the plane, um, went through immigration control, lots of people in the line, but they had lots of um, staff members on site, so that was pretty fast. Uh, the woman asked me what my the purpose of my trip was, and I said, well, basically to go to Wimbledon, and she was really into that. She said, oh, I'm a, I'm a tennis fan myself, so that was kind of nice. Um, got through, got the bag. The bag came, I would say, relatively quickly. I mean, obviously, they give priority to their business class and probably premium economy, but that was fine. And then I had a few things that I probably should have declared. And, of course, you know at Heathrow you have things to declare and nothing to declare. And I thought, hmm, am I going to do this the legit way or am I going through the green lane? And I thought, I'm just going through the green lane. So uh, when I, and there was no issue. I just went through. And then I had bought online um, a ticket, a bus ticket, because I was staying at Heathrow that night. Um, I was going to be picked up the next morning. I didn't want them to have to come up in the evening. So got found the bus, not too badly, and got over to a fantastic hotel. I'm going to do a little plug here, if I may. Uh, the Renaissance Heathrow Hotel. Mm, it's a nice one. It's, it was lovely, Nev. Um, had a runway view room, which I didn't really appreciate till the next morning. Ordered some great room service, which is often not that great. Had a great sleep, listened to a little APG, mm. and um, it was great. And then did a lot of plane spotting in the morning, so it was good. Oh, great stuff. Now, tell us about your return journey, because uh, I understand you've got a, a special treat going I back. do. Well, interestingly, and I, I should know more of the facts around this, but I believe several airlines around the world have this in place, and I think Air Canada is the first one in North America to implement it. And it's what you would call an auction system for upgrades. So when I booked my ticket back in February, late February, early March, I had, as I said, booked an economy ticket. And I would say about three to four weeks before I actually flew, I get an email from Air Canada and said, would you like to bid on an upgrade? And they said the outgoing flight to Heathrow had no upgrades available. Fine, no problem. Uh, would you like to bid on a an upgrade on your return flight? 
So I thought, you know what, I'm not even sure I'm going to do the bid, but I'm going to go through the process and just see what the process looks like. So I clicked all the buttons and I arrive at a screen and they said, would you like to bid on a premium economy seat or a business class seat? And as I think I said to you, go big or go home, I thought I'm going to bid on business class. So what they do is they take your visa card, credit card, whatever, and um, you put in a number that you would be willing to pay for that. And they have a little... In, uh, in dollars? In dollars, in Canadian right? dollars, okay. correct. Yeah. You maybe could change the currency. I don't know. That's interesting. Mm. Uh, I, I didn't really pick up on that nuance, but because it's a Canadian airline, that's what's the default anyway. Um, and they have a little bit of a, a meter on the side. So when I put my first number in, the meter comes back and says low bid or very low bid. And I thought, okay, there's a chance of me getting that is probably nil. So I just thought long and hard and thought, what's, a, what's the highest number I'm comfortable with paying? Plunked it in. And it came back sort of middle of the meter, I would say. I think it said that's a good bid or something like that. And the deal was it just sits there until two days before you're going to fly. So today is two days before I'm going to fly. And I got an email pop into my inbox that said, congratulations, your upgrade bid has been accepted. So I'm going to be flying business class home, which is kind of a treat for me. I'm not asking you to reveal the exact amount, obviously, no. but do you think that it would be it is substantially less than you would have been paying had you bought a proper full fare business class yes, ticket? Yes, def definitely so. And I mean, obviously, because I was only doing one leg of a, of a uh, return trip. Um, but yes, even if I double that and think about would that have been a business class return, it's substantially lower, I think. I've not heard of that before. And do you think that would be a popular thing for other airlines to offer? Well, I think so. I mean, it puts it in your mind. I mean, I don't think I have ever even asked for an upgrade before. I just something that didn't occur to me. And had I not gotten this, I had an exit row seat. I was very happy with what I had coming over. So I would have said, OK, c'est la vie. I'm not spending the money. That's fine. But I think it's quite interesting. And... and an interesting aspect I hadn't thought of, um, I was discussing it with Nick Anderson, and he was saying, of course, in their airline, they sell, quote unquote, their upgrades right at the check-in. And this eliminates that for their staff. It's all handled ahead of time. It's automated, if you will. They know now, two days before flying, how many of these upgrades they're going to actually sell. So I can sort of see an advantage to it. Anyway, for me, it's just a treat that I decided to indulge in. Yeah, and don't blame you. Uh, well, I very much look forward to hearing how good it, the experience was uh, when you get it over back, back to Pearson. But, well, the, the treat for me that you've had the, the fortune, good fortune to experience is I also get some lounge access at, at, at uh, Heathrow. And there is, Air Canada does have their own lounge at Heathrow called the Maple Leaf Lounge. So... I'll see what that's all about, too. Yeah, superb. Well, thanks ever so much indeed for talking to us today, Liz, and uh, safe trip back home on Thursday. Thanks so much, Nev. It was great to talk to you. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head dot com.
The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal. Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pays us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on Twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Flyby 5823 Trent Dane for 2-3 Manchester with Air 6X Climb Flight Level 210 Direct to Britain's Park United 123, maintain 280 knots. Turn right onto Bravo, link 21, join Alpha, hold at Mora, Speedbird 472, LOC DME, approach runway 27 left. Follow the green stand 544. That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on. Aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we <laughs> And of course, the lovely Grant McCarran was a part of our big Australian special last week, which was great to have him on. So, yeah, come on, PD, PCDU. It's about time we had some more episodes, actually. <laughs> if you're listening, Grant, which yeah, is, absolutely, I Grant. expect you are, Grant, yes, listening. Whilst yeah. you're uh, on your way to work yeah, or, or ballooning like that, yes, somewhere. Or whatever it is he's doing, yes. <laughs> yes. So a massive thank you to Nev, as always, yeah, for that great awesome segment. segment. Very, very oh, nice I just, I just, I just pressed the record button. It was uh, Liz that did all the talking, and uh, <laughs> oh. that was quite an interesting story as well. She, I'll so, tell you what, uh, yeah. it was, she, she, was, uh, she was a real star, wasn't she, when we were in Pittsburgh, but she was running you, me, and goodness knows who else out all over the shop. Yeah. It was brilliant. Yeah, she yeah. was good. Really good. Such she's a actually lovely, just, lovely lady. She's just left the chat room, you know. Has she? Yeah, to go and take the dog for a walk. Yeah. Mind you, you see, I don't like listening to my own voice, so may, may, maybe that's the reason why she's... Uh, she's I'm in, clearly in the wrong job, aren't I? I know. But uh, no, thanks a lot for that, Nev. <laughs> great audio, great content as always, yes. and uh, looking forward to uh, Pleasure, the there'll be more where that came from. Can't wait, Brilliant. literally can't wait. So moving on then with the show, we've uh, we've got no segment from Pip this week. He was uh, boy, he's, he in, on he's in Corsica. Is he? He's in Corsica. Oh, is he? oh, that's a reasonable excuse. Yeah, he's, yeah so If he's working, that's he's, right. he's that's working. Right. He's, he's flying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll let him off again this yeah. week. But next week, Pip, if you're listening, <laughs> honestly, stop it. You know, yeah. he's a busy man. Don't be horrible. Um, so we're going to move on then with uh, a couple of uh, military stories which I found this week, which are quite interesting. So uh, if everyone's ready, we're going to hit some military news. Okay, let's. 
go. So our first news story on the military segment this week, this one is on the Royal Air Force's website. And uh, the headline, Identity of the F-35 Lightning Training Squadron announced. This story, uh, this one, what's the day? This, what's the day? Is it the 8th today? Is it the 8th? It is, yeah. It's the 7th, yeah, seventh, seventh today. Yep. This is a couple of days ago this one uh, came online. And the squadron, which will train the future Air Force and Royal Navy F-35B Lightning pilots at RAF Marham, has been announced as 207 Squadron. The announcement was made during a visit uh, to RAF Marham by the Chief uh, of the Air Staff, Air Chief Marshal Sir Stephen Hillier and the First Sea Lord Admiral Sir Philip Jones to uh, view the progress being made to prepare for the arrival of the fifth generation fighter at the Norfolk base next summer. Air Chief Marshal Stephen Hillier said, I am very pleased to announce that the operational conversion unit for the UK's F-35B Lightning Fleet will uh, be 207 Squadron. The squadron has a proud and distinguished history, not only as an RAF squadron, but as one of the earliest squadrons of the Royal Naval Air Service with, uh, with the Royal Flying Corps. Uh, that came together to form the Royal Air Force on the 1st of April 1918. Preparations for the arrival of the first UK Lightnings next year are progressing well. The investment of £250 million in infrastructure here at RF Marham will ensure the station has the facilities to match this world-class aircraft when it arrives next year. As the home of the UK Lightning Force, the station will be at the heart of the UK air power for decades to come. Admiral Sir uh, Philip Jones, First Sea Lord and Chief of Naval Air Staff, said that 207 Squadron will play an important part of the future of both the Royal Air Force and the Royal Navy and rightly reflects our shared aviation heritage. I was in the United States earlier this month to meet some of the pilots and maintainers who are getting to grips with the F-35B. They're working brilliantly together and today I've seen some of the sense and purpose of these readying Rauri F. Marham for their arrival. HMS Queen Elizabeth is the first aircraft carrier in the world designed from the outset to operate a fifth generation combat aircraft. Crucially, a second ship, HMS Prince of Wales, is on its way which will give the UK a continuous carrier strike capability. I have every expectation in that time that uh, this combination of carriers and jets will represent a powerful and important strategic convenient deterrent. Uh, the the uh, new infrastructure currently being built at RAF Marham includes vertical landing pads, a renewal of runways and taxiways, and new technical and training facilities, officers and hangars. The first lightnings will arrive at RAF Marham next summer, uh, uh, summer next year, when the uh, Royal Air Force and the Royal Navy pilots currently training in the US will uh, return as 617 Squadron, the Dam Busters. The Lightning OCU will stand up as 207 Squadron on the 1st of July 2019. I must say I'm quite pleased because well, they've gone through a phase where they've been closing lots of uh, RAF bases, especially mm. in this region. So actually, apart from being quite pleased that this one is expanding and you know, uh, be, being kitted out to take new mm. craft. I mean, it's... Uh, and it's only in our next county. Well, indeed, next yes. ne- not not far from us. It's only a short drive from us, actually. This yeah, well, it, well, if you want to cross into the Norfolk border, it is what yeah. barely a mile. To be <laughs> yeah, fair, exactly. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's great. It's, it's good uh, news. It's an, it is yeah. good news uh, for us here. So, who's going to take the next? Who one, wants then, the next so? story? Anyone? Any any volunteers? 
<laughs> I'll, I'll take it if you like. Go on, okay. Uh, thank you. Thank I've you. Uh, got it in front of me. Yeah, well uh, well done, you. you yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, this is interesting. This is from thedrive.com, and uh, this is the US Air Force tested an advanced modular sensor pod on a vintage airliner. And um, the US Air Force is testing a state-of-the-art sensor package called Agile Pod, which it hopes will ultimately offer all new capabilities for surveillance aircraft and drones, such as the MQ-9 Reaper. But the service picked a decidedly less advanced platform for the initial flight test, the, the venerable Douglas DC-3. And in uh, June 2017, the Blue Guardian program, part of the Air Force Research Laboratory's sensors uh, directorate revealed that it had sent a prototype agile pod which is re a registered u.s government trademark by the way aloft on the contractor's dc3 ahead of plans to install it on an mq9 as such they had dubbed the experiments project harvest reaper and uh, agile pod is a game changer says uh, air force captain russell shirey and um, the current sensor capabilities on the aircraft are built for specific mission tasks such as close air support or targeting using proprietary software and hardware open system architecture standards combined with a single agile pod having plug and play capabilities and configurations enables one pod to perform hundreds of different mission sets and it's in its final form the agile pod could conceivably carry various types of still and full motion video cameras able to collect imagery during the day and at night as well as signal detecting or communications listening equipment and other electronic intelligence hardware all at once and many of these systems have an inherent dual use when paired with jammers or other electronic warfare tools too opening up the possibility for even more functionality the pod itself attaches to a pylon or other hard point using standardized legs. It actually looks like a, um, a bit of a Nimrod aircraft, it does, actually, it? In, yeah. in, in, in some ways. Um, but uh, it's quite interesting because the um, the Air Force does already have MQ9s uh, MQ9s configured for this role, but it requires carrying two large sensor pods that form the core of the system. And uh, this essentially precludes the aircraft from doing anything else. But official photographs show the experimental Agile pod carrying two independent electro-optical turrets during at least one of the test flights. So uh, this is quite a, a, a new bit of hardware by the looks of things. And uh, looks like a, it's going to be a very flexible uh, piece of hardware, especially for, um, as it says, uh, full motion uh, video cameras and, and still cameras as well. So uh, it's yeah, amazing how that uh, goes. How they've used, you know, used that that. Uh, DC three as a as you know as a a, a test bed for for mm, this particular bit of kit. You know, you got something that was built, you know, in the early fifties, sort of late forties, early fifties. You know, testing this brand new state of the art piece of equipment. It just goes to show, you know, that you know the test of time. These aircraft are just so bloody. Well I, I just love the idea yeah. of the sort of you know that it's the, it's the time gap, isn't it? I just yeah. mm. it's, it's something quite sort of the geek in me really quite likes the old versus the new. If I'm honest. Yeah, what do you think of this, Max? Yeah, no, it, it, I just did a story about the two DC threes that uh, are no longer in service, flying uh, cargo from Long Beach to Catalina. One of them entered service in 1944, so <laughs> it's just remark. These these airplanes are just remarkably tough, and it's kind of cool to still see them living with uh, new missions. Absolutely, Excellent. great thing. So, next story, moving on. Who's going to take uh, take the last one? Any any? Uh, Offers? No? Yeah, I don't mind. I'll take <laughs> yeah, go on, <laughs> Okay, thank goodness for that. <laughs> no problem. So this is from uh, shepherdmedia.com, and it says, or AAF 
upgraded Hawks begin training. So the Royal Australian Air Force has commenced flights on the upgraded Hawk Advanced Jet Trainer aircraft with the initial operating capability for lead-in fighter capability assurance program now achieved. BAE Systems is upgrading 33 Hawk aircraft for the RAAF under the program that began in 2014. Upgraded to the latest digital, uh, the latest digital standard, each upgraded Hawk provides new training capabilities, including simulated radar, electronic war warfare, digital mapping, ground proximity warning systems, and traffic collision avoidance. Two legacy synthetic training devices are also being replaced with three full mission simulators provided by the CAE. The upgrade of the Australian Hawk fleet is designed to provide an enhanced training capability to prepare pilots for the cockpits of the FA-18A-B Classic Hornets, the FA-18F uh, Super Hornet and the EA-18G Growler aircraft. And when introduced into service in 2018, the F-35A Lightning. Um, the fleet Upgrade will be completed by early 2019. 12 of the 33 strong fleet have already been completed. So very cool um, new bits of kit being absolutely. And an and another, uh, oh, you know, another, um, you know, like the last story, an aircraft that has stood the test of time. Bearing in mind, the Hawk first flew in 1974. That's 1974. Um, and this is also, don't forget the aircraft, the uh, Red Arrows used the T1 variant of this um, aircraft for the uh, display team. But it just goes to show there's, there's been a lot of variants, obviously, of the Hawk uh, since it's first, uh, you know, first came online back in 1974. But still another fantastic bit of kit that uh, is still very much uh, got plenty of legs left in it. A bit like the B-52, really, like we saw over mm. in Pittsburgh. That's uh, beautiful. Been, bit been given an extended Love. life for another fifty something years. And I mean, they're they're putting in, um, they're adding in those full mission simulators. That I don't think they're full motion, but I think full mission um, simulators. And each of those is worth, uh, I think, around about eleven million dollars. So they're very uh, invested in the in the hawk for the next while. Anyway, mm, definitely agreed. So that's where we bring the military news segment of the show to a close. And, uh, well, we, we, we're going to move on to our uh, chat with our special guest on the show tonight. So uh, so welcome again, Max, onto the show. I hope you've uh, enjoyed yourself so far. <laughs> that's, that's a bit putting me on the spot, isn't no. it, really? You can, you know, He's gone he, silent. He can't say no, can he? He's gone silent, no. <laughs> oh, no. I still there, I still there, Max. Oh dear, I did put it on mute. Oh, okay, oh, that, that'll be all right. Then. That's fine. <laughs> the good old mute button. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah so, so, so you missed me saying, I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Or something like that. The, the deathly God. silence was a little bit nerve wracking. I'm not going to lie. That, <laughs> just that, sort of thinking, you, that, oh, that's no. something that, that's something <laughs> yeah. that goes, goes with all uh, podcasts. It is not okay. an aviation podcast. If you you switch to a, a host, yeah, and, 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 and their mic's on mute, yeah, absolutely, perfectly normal. Because it happens on the it happens on the geeks all the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> but, yeah. but not Max though. Max never does it. So uh, so so well, like I said, uh, thanks for coming on to uh, to the show tonight, Max. It's, it's been uh, good to have you on. But we're gonna have a little chat with you and find out a bit more, really in depth, as to you know to how uh, how your aviation career started you know, when uh, when did things kick off for you max and how did you get to where you are now 
Oh, um, like most things, uh, I started as a young child. <laughs> Fair enough. Both, both, both life and, and flying. Now, I think uh, probably my first flight was, I'm guessing I was probably 9 or 10, and they had, uh, you know, $5 rides that they would give at the local airport. So my sister and I uh, got my mom to take us go uh, fly 15 minutes around, see the town, and I was just hooked from, from there on. So started taking flight lessons when I was uh, 15, and my mom had to drive me to the airport because I didn't have a, a driver license to, uh, to get there to myself. So she'd drive me to the airport, and I'd fly the airplane. Uh, and then finished my license about four years later when I was in college, 19, and spent, uh, you know, a good 25 years working for Hewlett Packard, where I would maybe fly, you know, on average 30 hours a year on the side. And then uh, the last few years at HP, I got my flight instructor rating and started teaching uh, on weekends. I would sometimes fly, you know, eight hours on Saturday, eight hours on Sunday, and go back to work at HP on Monday. Wow. So. Yeah, exactly. I uh, I kind of threw myself into it. had had great fun. It, it's really kind of odd. Um, I never actually planned to get a flight instructor uh, certificate, but uh, you know, one summer, a friend of mine, uh, Tim Johnson, said, uh, "Gee, Max, I'm getting my CFI. You should too." And I just said, "Yeah, you're right." <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I'm having great fun. I I used to think that I enjoy just flying for the sake of itself, but I really found I enjoy flying with other people and I really enjoy helping them achieve their goals and you know as a flight instructor that's that's the perfect job. So how often uh, Max do you do the, the flight instruction? So is it on a daily basis you do the you know the instruction do you have do you have students every day? Yeah pretty much yeah. I mean uh, it waxes and wanes uh, depending on uh, scheduling uh, you know it depends on you know who's who's starting and who's finished and all that kind of stuff uh, but last year I flew um, 750 hours of which 500 were in the last six months of the year so it's wow. it was pretty pretty heavy schedule and of those hours more than half of them were in the cirrus so the types of uh, aircraft you've uh, flown max obviously is, is a probably a list as long as your arm of aircraft you've flown but sort of you know a, a kind of breakdown really of the ga aircraft that you've uh, had the chance obviously you've flown the cirrus uh, any anything else um, slightly bigger or um yeah, so uh, I was applying to be an examiner a couple of years ago, and they wanted to know how many types have you flown. I had no idea, so I went in my logbook, and I found 85 different aircraft types wow. uh, that I've flown. So uh, just about anything that's a you know, single-engine certificated aircraft uh, I've probably flown. Um, very little in the experimental world. I just don't spend much time in experimental aircraft. In fact, my, my very first flight uh, in a Vans was... Uh, Two days ago, it was an RV-7A that uh, somebody was flying me back from having delivered a Cirrus uh, to another uh, airport, so that was fun. Um, and on the high end, I'm type rated in uh, two jets, the uh, Phenom 100 and the, uh, the Eclipse jet, which oddly, you know, when you're in those, it's kind of like flying a Cirrus. You know, the speeds aren't much different and you know, it has a similar feel to it. Out of those, do you have a preference as to, as to the one you like the most, or, or do they, they all just feel amazing? <laughs> you know, I believe it or not, I really like the Cirrus better than flying the jets. I mean, when you're flying the jets, you, you know, you climb up to 41,000 feet and then you, you know, land and climb back up to 41,000 feet. And, you know, all the time you're talking to air traffic control and you're looking at the tops of the clouds. And it's like, you know, I'd much rather be down closer to the earth kind of watching the world go by. It's just so beautiful here. Uh, so for me, the Cirrus is perfect because it's got the technology. I'm a technology guy. Uh, we've got wonderful scenery to see here in uh, California. So, yeah, I, I, I pick a Cirrus any day. So do you do a lot of delivery of aircraft then, Max? Obviously, you do the flight instruction stuff, but uh, do you get people then, uh, you know, call you and say, hey, Max, I've got this this SR-22 here in, you know, one side of the U.S. Can you bring it over to the other side? Is that another kind of service you provide as well? 
I do. Uh, so, for example, I wouldn't say that's uh, in the main business. It's kind of a you know a sideline, and it's not something where I would want to do it. You know, every every week, because <laughs> I kind of like being at home. Um, but yeah, I, I probably do it uh, every every month or two. I'm probably on the road for a quick trip uh, somewhere. A uh, good example: um, I'm scheduled on Friday to go to El Paso, Texas, to pick up a 206 and bring it back with uh, oh, wow. a new owner. And we originally were scheduled to go three weeks ago, but the temperatures uh, in uh, El Paso, I think, were 113, and where we were headed in Las Vegas, they were 116 because we had to make a stop along the way. And I just said, you know. <laughs> I don't think this is a good time to fly. So we've got a question then uh, from... Oh, are you going to take this one, Matt? No, 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 carry on. No, okay. Uh, so, any, uh, Max, uh, have you flown any historical aircraft? And uh, this is from Micah. Um, and the, what have you enjoyed, and have you flown any that were unusual in handling or performance? Yeah, I've flown the, uh, the Ford Trimotor, 1929 Ford Trimotor that uh, EAA has, and that was a kick. Uh, I was up in the right seat, and we had a full load of passengers. Uh, the uh, pilot took off, and I did the flying while we were in the air. He did the landing, pretty wise move, and we got all those folks in the back. But the funny thing is uh, we were partway through, and he said, it works better if you look outside. And I realized, oh, I was glued to the instruments, which is, you know, I teach a lot in uh, modern uh, glass cockpit aircraft, so I'm just so used to looking at the instruments. I was kind of forgetting oh yeah you're supposed to look outside which is what i'm always you know telling my <laughs> yeah. students so uh, it was kind of ironic but great fun to uh you know look out the right window and see that right engine kind of right right there uh, just slightly behind you it's a beautiful beautiful aircraft and on a side note to that have you flown any hysterical aircraft defined <laughs> as you choose <laughs> that's Thanks. a really good question uh, I, these days you know i learned to fly in a cessna 150 and i would say hey. these days it would be hysterical to see me try and climb into one <laughs> nothing wrong with a 150 that's, that's what carlos is learning to fly yeah. in so <laughs> yeah no it, i i tell folks there's only one way to get into a 150 and that's to strap it onto your back Right. Actually, yeah, I was going to say, is only one line has to fall into one. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very similar. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Lane Street in the chat room, uh, Max, has asked, uh, any float plane experience? Or have you ever flown in a Beaver Super Cub? A Beaver Super Cub. I'm, I'm not sure if that's I, two airplanes. I think it's two airplanes, yeah. Or in a Beaver comma super club yeah. Yeah. sorry my phone <laughs> yeah so um I, I i have flown in float planes i have an atp rating in uh, both single engine and multi-engine uh, seaplanes which means i've flown instrument approaches and then circled to land on the water which is uh, kind of pretty wild um yeah i flew a, uh, a cub on floats in ireland um a friend of mine william over there has one and uh, i wrote about that back um oh i want to say it was 2010 2011 when I was a columnist at the EAA's uh, Sport Aviation Magazine. Uh, so that was really a kick, flying around the little lakes in uh, in Ireland. And I do own a, a seaplane, a, a lake amphibian. So it's not a float yeah. plane, but it's actually an amphibian because it sits down on the water. Uh, and I really like that compared to the the uh, uh, you know, float planes where you're sitting up you know, maybe six feet above the water. Here you're right down on the water, which is pretty cool. So another uh, question here, uh, we always hate, I, I was a bit nervous asking pilots this because obviously you never want things to go wrong, especially when it involves flying, yeah. but uh, uh, Richard King has asked, Max, have you had any scary moments during your time flying and anything that of particular note, shall we say? You know, I, I, I would say that the, in my flying career, there have been two times where the stall horn went off when I was not expecting it. Uh, so that, that, that kind of woke me up really fast in both cases. Uh, one case is it was a uh, I was in the right seat with a Cirrus owner and we were going into one of the airports in Las Vegas and we were on final and I relaxed and I thought ah 
he's an owner, he's got this nailed, and then the stall horn went, went off, and wow, that woke me up <laughs> in a big hurry, since uh, we were not anywhere close to the runway where it would be acceptable to hear the stall horn. <laughs> and uh, same thing happened one time in a uh, 172, where we were on downwind, and then the tower told us to make a 360 for uh, spacing, and the stall horn went off, and whoops, that got my attention again, too. So, yeah, I would say those are the only two times where I really got caught, you know, uh, off guard, uh, but thank goodness for the stallhorn. You know, it's there to kind of fo- refocus your attention on what it should <laughs> yeah, be on. Make you concentrate. Absolutely. I asked this question with slight nerves because this is this is from Captain Al. So apologies oh. uh, in advance for anyone. And he's asking Max, how do you handle students that you know just won't make it? <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> yeah, you can always you rely know, on Captain Al for a controversial question. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just wondering if this is really from him or from one of my students that <laughs> I think won't make it. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. Yeah, <laughs> that was very diplomatic. Well done. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it, it's a challenge, um, and, and I did have one of those folks recently, and um, he actually recently uh, decided not to continue because. Uh, and I think he kind of reached the same conclusion, maybe for different reasons. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's. I think that's one of the biggest challenges we have as flight instructors because nobody knows 100% for sure that somebody's not going to make it, but you can kind of have a, you know, kind of a gut feeling or, you know, see evidence of it, and then you have to figure out how do you present that. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a real challenge. Fortunately, I don't run into that uh, very often. Most recent case, person figured it out themselves. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. <laughs> okay, so... Next question I've got is uh, from Tony S, and it's a more technical one. Um, can you explain the circumstances or protocols where you use caps instead of a dead stick landing in the Cirrus? Okay, yeah, so ex- explain to me what that means. Sorry, because I'm not. Re- I'm, I'm, I'm sure. the one that knows nothing here. <laughs> yeah, so on the keyboard, the caps key is the one that shifts. Be- no, I'm kidding. <laughs> ah, okay, right. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. No, no. no. <laughs> caps is the well played. Uh, the sir, well played. Yeah. Into the, uh, the Cirrus aircraft, um, and boy, I can't remember the acronym off the top of my head, but everybody calls the parachute uh, uh, caps. Um, and my my thinking has evolved on on this. Uh, pilots who learn in other than uh, Cirrus aircraft are taught that, hey, when the engine dies, uh, don't worry. There's always a lovely field nearby. You're just going to circle down and glide and make a perfect landing and walk away without a scratch. Uh, the truth is that might not always work out you know, quite that way. Uh, so in the Cirrus, we have another option, uh, which is to pull the parachute. And the general thinking these days is, you know, unless there happens to be an airport right below you when the engine fails, you probably should fail. You probably should pull the caps at parachute. And the logic behind that is really pretty simple. I mean, if the minimum altitude that you're going to pull a parachute is about 500 feet. And 500 feet, it's pretty hard to evaluate whether that field is really nice and smooth and clean or whether it's full of, you know, uh, woodchuck holes or they just cut the Christmas trees out of there yesterday or, you know, things like that. By the time you get low enough to discover that, it's too late to use the, the parachute. So if we were touching down in one of these aircraft in the field, you're going to be doing about 75 knots. Wow. Uh, whereas if you pull the parachute, you're coming down about uh, 15 knots. Uh, now, force is uh, proportional to the square of the speed. So if you if you hit something uh, and it's uh, you know five times faster at 75 knots, it's going to be 25 times the force. So oh, imagine honey. somebody punching you in the arm, and then imagine them punching you 25 times harder. <laughs> so you know the, the the forces on the human body really favor pulling the parachute. So I've totally changed my thinking to uh, unless there's an airport, I'm going to pull the parachute because the parachute has an incredible, uh, reliable history of use. It's been used in virtually every aircraft orientation. It's been used when the aircraft was upside down. 
Uh, it's been used up to about 187 knots successfully. Wow. Uh, and so you know, people almost always walk away without a scratch. So, yeah, I'm a huge proponent of the uh, parachute. And a lot of people kind of poo-poo that and go, oh, well, I don't want to be out of control and so on. But I think that that control is, is really an illusion. Uh, you're not really fully in control because you really don't know you know what what that surface is going to be like that you're touching on and you don't uh, know you know how much landing distance you really have when you head down to some arbitrary field i have to ask a question max you know you've yeah. you've obviously flown the uh, you've obviously flown the sr22 um yeah. have you ever pulled that uh, particular handle and if you haven't have you ever thought you know you'd love to just pull it just to see what it's like <laughs> <laughs> well here here in the U.S., we have the Fifth Amendment, so I can claim the Fifth and say I choose not to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm totally joking. No, uh, people often ask me if I have pulled the handle, and I have not, uh, which I think is uh, you know partially luck and partially just you know staying ahead of the aircraft and not uh, getting into a situation where where I had to. Um, I have pulled it in a simulator, uh, kind of a full motion simulator. So oh, wow. I have. You know that experience doing it, um, and I wouldn't hesitate to do it if uh, you know if I thought that were my best option. Interestingly, about one percent of the fleet have—is uh, that right? Is, am I getting that number correct? Yes. So yeah, a little bit over one percent of the fleet has had the uh, the parachute pulled, which is kind of surprising to me. I, w- I would have thought it'd be a smaller number than that. Mm. Yeah. Any questions from you, Nev? Yeah, I was just going to ask you, uh, Max, in, in terms of. Um, being a CFI or, or getting to be a CFI, how, how long did it take you to uh, to get that qualification and the license? Uh, so I worked on it over a summer. I think I probably started in uh, in late June and then I finished up in early uh, September. Uh, there is no minimum number of hours uh, to do it. Uh, and so what you're really, so getting the flight instructor rating is very different than any other pilot rating uh, because it's a lot less about demonstrating to the examiner that you can do A, B, and C. It's more about demonstrating that you can teach the examiner A, B, and C, and also, uh, you know, simultaneously fly and talk, which, you know, is hard for some people Mm -hmm. to do without uh, practicing. Uh, And so I would say for the CFI rating, uh, a much larger percentage of the time is just based on self-study, getting to know all the huge core of knowledge that uh, that's required, and you know the actual flying part is proportionally smaller. But I'll tell you, one of the challenges was just getting used to flying in the right seat. Uh, I grossly underestimated how different the world looks from the right seat versus the left seat, and the first couple hours of landings terrified me. I mean, there was, I still remember at one point in the right seat and as I was landing, reaching over and grabbing the left set of controls to land the airplane <laughs> using the more familiar controls that were on the left. So, you know, I, I wouldn't encourage anybody to just go up on the right seat by themselves to see what it's like. No. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's really interesting, isn't it? And, it's uh, a very different view. Yeah, <clears throat> but uh, no, I just imagine that the whole perspective just look, looks completely different. And, and as you're coming into land, you know, as you get closer to the runway threshold, you think, actually, th- th- this picture is not what I'm used to seeing at all. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. That, that, to me, was the biggest challenge, was just getting comfortable in the right seat. Now I switch back and forth and, you know, don't really have a preference. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Max. So Lane yep. Street has asked in the chat room, uh, Max, about, uh, well, he said about your total hours. What are your total hours? I mean, is there a kind of a rough guess of... I mean, there must be, you must have thousands of hours in the uh, logbook. Yeah, it's over 8,000. I don't know the exact uh, number, but uh, you know, somewhere Ow. in that ballpark. And, and most of those uh, have been accrued in the last uh, 15, 16 years. So when I got my CFI in uh, 2001, 
I had uh, under a thousand hours. So, you know, uh, been doing what an average of probably 500 hours a year since then, uh, you know, sometimes more, sometimes less. Wow. That's just it's a few more than few more yeah, than those, isn't a few it? more than than you've got certainly now going back to where we were talking about caps actually masha was saying that uh, I, uh, you may have a comment about this actually but masha was saying in the chat room here i chatted to someone who was training on a caps aircraft not a cirrus he said that his instructors told him that if you ever pull the chute you never pull the chute because you can always land and the caps would completely total the aircraft i mean <laughs> is that true is that something that you can uh, can it be put I back? I don't know. <laughs> okay, he's never pulled I, one. I, that's why. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I mean, there may be other aircraft that uh, you know you might you know worry more about pulling it. I've never heard of that. I, I've interviewed the, uh, the the head of the company that makes the parachute, and uh, yeah, it's had very reliable use in all aircraft that I'm aware of. Mm. But I think there are a lot of people who are. Uh, you know, a little scared of the parachute and, you know, unfamiliar with it and reticent to use it. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of um, kind of negative talk out there about it. I think mostly by salesmen of uh, other <laughs> yeah. aircraft that yeah. don't have parachutes. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Uh, Lane actually says, actually, caps is, caps is more to, to save the people on board, not necessarily the airplane. So, I mean, I suppose Oh, that oh could, I yeah. see. Well, that, that is an interesting point. Yeah. Um, so, using the parachute uh, does diminish the value of the aircraft. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Actually, one of the questions I was going to yeah. ask you, Max, is after... Obviously, if the inst- if a ha- incident happens, you have to pull the chute, uh, and the aircraft you know floats back to earth. Is that aircraft yeah. generally then a write off, or can it be you know repair, or is that the- is that it? You know, is that the end of end of days? Yeah. So originally, they thought they were all going to be uh, write offs. They've put about twenty percent of them back into uh, to operation. So you know, depending on how much damage occurred, they can repair them. Uh, most people are just kind of sitting and waiting to see which aircraft will be the first to have pulled its parachute twice. <laughs> ah, yes. Good point. So going on to, to that's another question. Right? Stuff, yeah, I've got another question. Oh. Go back into service. Yeah. Oh, oh, hello, telephone. Hello, uh, right. telephone. Carry on. Uh, Richard King's asking a question actually in the chat room here. He's asking, um, "What's your uh, Max? What's your f- what has been your funniest moment with a student?" Oh dear, you know, you <laughs> sh- <laughs> I, oh. I can't I can't think of one per se. Okay. All I can tell you is that uh, yeah, usually I'm up there having fun at the client's expense. Okay. You know, that's what I always tell them <laughs> is that uh, you know we we can make jokes, but they have to be at, at their expense. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. so, so I'm I'm usually uh, you know cracking jokes, and uh, I was just flying with somebody the other day who was really um, you know a little nervous and self conscious, and so yeah, you know, I try and use that as a as a technique to keep the atmosphere. A little bit light so generally uh you know folks in the airplane and i are, are having a great time we're usually just laughing and <laughs> yeah. you know carrying on and uh, yeah it's a lot of fun <laughs> evan shu in the chat room max has asked have you flown the new lycoming powered sr20 no but i expect to pretty soon that was uh, introduced in 2017 so it's a pretty new uh model uh, I would expect it's going to have slightly better performance. It's a 215 horsepower engine versus uh, 200 po- uh, 200 horsepower. So yeah, it should uh, climb a little bit better. It might be a little bit faster. Well, I, I'll never get a chance to fly one myself. No. But <laughs> no, there no, we no. go. At the rate you're going, you're never going to get to fly your Cessna 150 again. I know. <laughs> I know. I need to find a job. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so glass cockpit stuff. Obviously, you've uh, you've you've written uh, a few books, uh, Max, on the uh, the glass cockpit kind of thing. Where did all that begin? Uh, so I went to the Cessna factory back in uh, 2000. 
five, I guess, we went to pick up a, uh, a Cessna 206, and I went through what then was a week-long training course on the Garmin G1000, and they've, they've shortened it up you know, considerably uh, since then. But at that point in time, uh, you know, the, there was, the system had only been out a year. It was not well-known by most people. Um, I uh, taped, uh, you know, that, these are back in the days of audio tape recorders. I taped a number of the sessions, came home with uh, 20 pages of notes, and I literally was sitting right here at this desk where I'm right now thinking, why does this seem so hard? I think I'm a smart guy. Why am I not getting this? And I <laughs> kind of thought about it, and I realized, oh, there aren't any really good training materials out there. Ah. And then I thought... Oh rats! Someone's going to have to write one. <laughs> so, you know that uh, that became the uh, the beginning of uh, my Garmin G1000 book. And it's on Amazon as well. You can actually go on Amazon buy ah, cool. Max's book, which Excellent. is pretty cool. So, is it the fifth the fifth edition you've got now, Max? It is, yeah. And that's yeah. about about the yeah the sixth printing as well. So one one cycle I didn't update it, but yeah, there've been a number of updates because the Garmin G1000 just continues to change the rate of change was you know much higher in the early years and it's uh, slowed down and then i went ahead and added information about the uh, cirrus perspective uh, which was introduced back in 2008 and it's kind of like the g1000 but with additional features so all that's now combined in the same book so obviously max in the, the years you've been flying you've obviously flown you know s such um, mediocre aircraft like me of the 150 172 <laughs> with uh, old-fashioned steam gauges and you've obviously moved on to bigger and better things such as the Cirruses and uh, come on you, you must admit you must love to get back into one of the old steam gauge GA aircraft just for just for fun and, and I do uh, fly them from uh, from time to time uh, probably not all that often I'll tell you here in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area we have a lot of a high density of general aviation uh, traffic so we're constantly you know looking for other airplanes in the windshield and the side windows and so on most of the glass cockpit aircraft here have uh, traffic uh, awareness systems TCAS. most of the round gauge aircraft do not uh, and so I, <laughs> I automatically have a preference right there uh, to have a system that kind of yells at me and goes traffic traffic and uh, you know helps me spot to airplanes that i might not have seen yes uh shorty cosgrove uh in the chat room uh, is asking what is your favorite glass cockpit Probably the one I'm flying at the moment. <laughs> now that's not strictly true. I would say the uh, the Garmin Perspective and the and the you know the Cirrus Perspective and the Garmin G1000s are probably the favorite. The Avidines have about probably 80% of the features, and you know I, I think they're still an excellent uh, value. Some of the newer avionics I haven't flown uh, as much with. Uh, the Garmin 650s and 750s. I'm still eh, getting my feet wet on those. So, yeah, it's uh, each one is uh, a new beast and requires more uh, more study. So, yeah, I think people probably like the ones they're most familiar with. <laughs> so, moving on to the future, then, Max. What's the future hold for uh, Max Trescott? What are the plans you've got in place? Gotta say, I'm I'm, I'm pretty uh, comfortable doing what I'm doing. But the one thing I'd still like to do that I haven't done yet is to fly the uh, the Cirrus jet. So I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, the day when I can get a type rating in the Cirrus jet <laughs> and uh, do some teaching for uh, new Cirrus jet owners around the country. Oh, wow. wow. So we're going we're gonna to ask you uh, one last question, uh, Max, before we round up the, uh, the show. And it's uh, a question that everyone will know. We ask uh, all our guest pilots on the show. Um, I didn't put it in the show notes, so we thought we'd uh, surprise you, just, which is a bit oh, harsh. Right, it was really harsh. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, can, it's I, a... can I get my deer in the headlights look now? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I should. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so Max, given the, given the chance to fly any aircraft in the world, 
either be it retired or still flying um, and you were given the chance to hop in and, and take it around the circuit now what would the aircraft be albeit military or commercial or GA hmm Hmm. I think it would still be the Cirrus jet. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to uh, to that. Yeah. Really? We haven't definitely had that. No, that no, we had that one. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> We've had Spitfires, <laughs> Concords. We, we, were you guys placing bets on this? What, what yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We've all lost. I, yeah, yeah. We, 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 so I think we have to give the money to charity now. I think that's how it yeah. works. But, <laughs> well, yeah. let me let me guess. So somebody must have guessed the Mustang P51. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's yeah, that would be one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Someone must have guessed. Uh, I don't know. What would the what would the other guesses be? I, I would have either a Concord is Concord, a really popular Spitfire. one. For oh. uh, Spitfire as well. Yeah. That's that's another one. It's not as I say. It's the the question is usually sort of like not not one that you're type rated to fly, but like literally anything. If you could just sit in the controls and have a go of yeah. any aircraft that's ever yeah. existed, what would you most love to have a fly of? Sure. Let me tell you what the most unusual thing I've I've flown then. Cool. I, like um, I have I have time in one of the Goodyear blimps. Oh uh, no so way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's exactly. really random. Yeah. Flying, <laughs> yeah. flying those blimps is really amazing. Uh, it, it, uh, it, they don't have dual controls. There's just one kind of wicker basket chair, and the pilot climbs out, and so now the blimp is flying itself. And then you climb in, and uh, it's just remarkably unresponsive. Uh, I just, I just love it how. Just to me, it was. It was uh, I was thought it was like kind of flying a pig, you know, holding yeah. onto each ear. When you want to turn left, you grab the nice. pole on the left ear. I mean, literally to turn this, you just push the pedals. But when you push them, you have to count to about, you know, three seconds before you see any response or movement from the from the airship. So that, that really was, that was a fun, different experience that most people don't get to do. I mean, if, if you think about it, there are more people that have flown F-15 fighters than have flown the well, Goodyear Blimp. Well, that is very true. That is and, and I have to ask a question just just for the benefit of the listeners in the chat room, uh, Max. Uh, Boeing or Airbus? Oh, no, you can't ask that question. <laughs> no, 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 no. Bad man. <laughs> I, I, you know, you, you guys, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. What, what's a Boeing and what's an Airbus? You'll have to tell me. Uh, <laughs> oh, do, do you know what? There is a career in politics waiting I for you somewhere, got, Max. There. I knew we got Max on here <laughs> yeah, for a reason. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I know you guys know a lot about airliners, but I'm a GA guy and yeah. do a GA podcast, so yeah. you, you're going to have to help me out here. That's fair enough. Do you, do you know what? That is the best answer <laughs> we've ever had to that question ever, Max. So well done you. So that serves you right, Carlos. Moving on. Captain <laughs> Al, I, can, I can almost see Captain <laughs> yeah. Allen in the chat room Melting. rubbing his hands yeah. together. <laughs> yeah. oh, Indeed. Well, Max, I'm afraid we're sort of running out of time here. It has been a real honour to have you on our very humble show we are truly honored that you've managed to squeeze us in and uh just give uh, your uh, your podcast a quick plug so that we can uh, so that if, if they don't know you? about it how, how can they get hold oh, of it oh sure yeah aviation news talk where we're finer pad finer podcasts are found or just go to aviationnewstalk.com very fantastic good, very good, good. Absolutely. and seriously uh, we, we mentioned it earlier in the show if you haven't uh, had a listen already their latest episode uh, which is talking about the ATC privatization is just apps a must listen it really is get quite it on your list app very it's much on, it's on my list of 42 podcasts <laughs> I listen to <laughs> right okay good so <laughs> yeah, splendid uh, yeah. do you get time to listen to them I now that you're unemployed <laughs> I certainly do I certainly do I'm self-employed I'll have you oh, know my I run my ambitious so, yeah, young man okay. yeah. so <laughs> before we uh, before we wrap up the show don't forget we're going to make quick quick plug obviously this show will go out uh, probably after the sort of sunday after I think, the moment yeah but uh, for anyone who's in the chat room who uh, is going to be in the uk on sunday don't forget me and matt and nev 
and a whole host of listeners from around uh, the UK and Europe are going to be at the Duxford Flying Legends Air Display at uh, the Imperial War Museum at Duxford. We're going to be there on Sunday. Yep. Incredibly early. Uh, yeah, well, well, yeah, no, we, we, we just want to be there. We, we want <laughs> to beat the, be the rush into the car park, basically. So but, we'll be uh, there. Yeah. So for those of you who are listening, and hopefully uh, we'll see as many of you there yep. as we can. Do you know what I'm most looking forward to? Because one of the few people we haven't met is uh, the lovely Myla because we've I met Asher and we've met loads but <laughs> I, I'm really exciting to meet the lovely Myla in fact actually Owen I think you're meeting her possibly tomorrow I think you were originally planning um, to weren't you or are you now I'm flying I'm not too sure I, I'm going to have to talk to Myla about that okay right okay uh. oops <laughs> and <laughs> well done me <laughs> yeah. moving on and moving on on uh, the following weekend on Saturday the 15th so for those of you listening mm. plenty of time to uh, to get yourselves there yep. although I think the tickets sold out quite a long while they, ago but, okay, good, uh, yeah. but uh, <laughs> next Saturday which is the 15th of yep. July I will be at the Royal International Air Tattoo at RAF Fairfield and guess who is Going Gloucestershire <laughs> and uh, Matt's not coming with I'm me. not coming no 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 uh, I'm, I'm not going I'm actually going to actually He's spend good. some quality time with my father wow which is going to be what a awesome. very good does he like aeroplanes too or dad does oh, actually yeah oh, well, dad does like his aircraft why is, yeah. why is he not sitting here why have I got <laughs> I don't think my dad would do a. he'd never do an audio podcast or, or a visual one it would be hilarious but no I, me and my father will yeah. be there yeah. on, uh, on the Saturday so that's next Saturday 15th of July Royal, uh, Royal International Air to RF yep. Airford. Um, I'm going to have my shirt on. I'm in the usual uh, 14,000 bags and cameras tons of and camera equipment, else, recording yeah. equipment, and um, probably being carried by my father, actually. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, indeed. Um, but yeah. yeah, we'll be there Saturday. So, so hopefully, we'll see some of you guys and girls along there. Yep. Come and give me a shout, a poke, a nudge, a prod. So, like so next week's going to be a little bit strange because yeah. uh, Carlos is not going to be here, although I am, because uh, I've moved house and I don't have any broadband. Uh, so I'm going to have to well, come to the house. Yeah, I know, absolutely. So I'm going to have to come to Carlos's house while he's away in order to do the live show. And Sky- uh, Carlos will be one of the many people who will hopefully be joining me next week <laughs> via, via Skype. Skype. So, uh, yes, absolutely. Normal show. Uh, if you want to catch the live show, we more or less usually do it on a Friday night starting at 7 p.m., give or take the odd 15 minute <laughs> here and there depending <laughs> on what happens and uh, yeah so we're uh, if you want to catch a live show that is every Friday and we usually start about 7pm and on the note in the chat room that Thomas Mandrake's just made yes there are still spaces for our 200th show very much in, so yes uh, in January on the yep. 20th of January next year um, if anyone who is in the UK or who wants to fly in from anywhere in the world, yeah, absolutely, we've got we've got a couple us. of very very exciting people joining us, haven't we? We have. I, know, yeah, we I don't do think we're have, allowed yeah. to say. But no, we're uh, not going to say. No, okay. Um, but we have got two. We have got, we have got a couple of people flying in from the US. Actually, we have. Yeah, we're not going to say who it is. Least, yeah. uh, but they're going to join us on the twentieth of January. Like I said, we're going to be at uh, the simulator, the seven three seven fixed base yeah. simulator uh, in London. At, MP simulations. Uh, MP simulations. Yeah. We're going to be there, and we still have spaces. So if anyone wants to come down there with us on the day, uh, please do send us an email as quick as you can yeah. because they will fill up very soon. They will. And to do that, please send your communications to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Entry for that is via email only. So it's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, if you want to catch up with the show, uh, then obviously take yourself to our various social media feeds. Uh, on Twitter, our handle is at Plain Talking UK and it's facebook.com forward slash 
Plain Talking UK. Or if you'd like to have a look at our newest member of the team, uh, why not take yourself to www.plaintalkinguk.com where there's a lovely little photograph of, I believe you were in some foreign hotel, if memory serves. You were you were yeah, actually away on um, one of your jollies, weren't you? I was in uh, Croatia, actually. You were, <laughs> and absolutely. doing a down-the-line interview for uh, an, look at an, an audiovisual show, and I just happened to uh, uh, give Mrs. Nev a camera to take a picture uh, Right. Of well, I, 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 indeed, he's saying he's branded up there and everything with, with, him, with yeah. the company that he works for. But, uh, yeah, he I know. Lovely, I know. Uh, my personal thanks, obviously, uh, must go to, because while I haven't got any broadband, there's this charming little Irishman that's been doing me a massive favour by editing the show for me, because uh, he has got broadband. Uh, and uh, I'm probably going to be call- <laughs> calling about. on it. Yeah, yeah, just about, yeah. I'm probably going to be calling on his services again this week. Cause, uh, but next week, I will have it all back. So my personal thanks goes to the lovely Owen, who's been helping me with the editing uh, recently as well. No problem at all. No problem at all. So we are going to say a massive thanks to everyone who's joined us in the chat room tonight live I've for so the busy. show. Yeah. been loads of people in there. There's been some different areas of uh, chat in the chat room this week. It's, it's, gone, it's actually kind of left the food area and it's gone in the various... Well, that makes a change. Different sort of tangent, <laughs> it's so. normally all about food. <laughs> yeah. normally, but we have had, uh, we have had actually uh, air, uh, Airplane Geek Royalty in there this evening. As Brian Coleman's been in Did the chat we? room. Did we? Ah, the legend yeah, is. So, uh, yeah, I think yeah. he's been in there keeping an eye on uh, Max, actually. Uh, probably. That's yes, why he's been in there. And probably he's going to report that I didn't mention and plug the Airplane Geeks podcast enough. enough. What's that, the okay. Airplane Geeks yeah. podcast? Uh, I've never heard yeah. of it. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. So thanks to everyone who, again, who's joined us in the chat room and for taking the time out on your Friday evening for joining us in uh, in the chat room on the show tonight. It's been great to see you all in there, as always. And like I said, before we wrap up as well, massive thanks to Max Trescott for uh, taking time out of his day to come and appear on the show this week. Max, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today so i want to say a big thanks to you thanks for having me i really enjoyed being with uh, the crew here so thanks so much to uh, you know you carlos and matt and fun to meet uh, nev and uh, owen as well uh, yeah, so it's www.airplanegeeks.com, by the way, just in case anybody <laughs> doesn't want to get it. We don't want, any, don't want our guests to end up in trouble, do we? There we are. Exactly. But exactly. That everybody that listens to this will already be familiar with the Airplane Geeks, so that, that shouldn't be a problem. Uh, well, guys, seriously, uh, that's where we have to bring episode number 172 to a close. From all of us here in the studio, it has been so much fun. Everybody say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.